You're listening to the Straight Shooting Podcast here on the AHB Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Here are the hosts of the show, Jason and Mo. All right, welcome back to the Straight Shooting Podcast. Thanks for joining me. Great to have you with us. I'm pleased to bring you another episode. Of course, I've got Muzz on the line with me joining me. Muzz, thanks. How you doing, man? Yeah, g'day, Jason, and, and g'day, everyone out there in listener land, and welcome back to the Australian Shooting Podcast. What's been happening? Anything exciting? I've been on a couple of hunting trips. Hasn't been too bad. I guess some good and good and bad points, like any trip, you know, sometimes you wish it was better than it was, but uh, not a bad trip all in all, mate, not a bad trip all in all, went down to the uh, Riverina, where I did a bit of hunting, shot a couple of rabbits, or a couple, more than a couple of rabbits, but uh, had a great time shooting long range, gong shooting, shooting the 243, it was a uh, pretty good time, man, helping out the farmer, chatting to people in the local area, it was uh, quite a good time, mate, quite a good time. Well, I saw some of the videos you made, Jason, and they were pretty impressive, mate. There were some pretty good shots on rabbits at some uh, very long distances, and I believe that some of them were almost 300 metres away. So not too bad, mate, not too bad at all. I'm really uh, getting into enjoying this long-range shooting stuff. I really am. It's... uh Quite exciting, actually. I didn't think I'd be so... I'm more into, I think, the, the varmint shooting instead of the long-range gong sort of stuff, but definitely shooting a gun at those longer distances and, you know, getting regular hits on targets, I think, uh, you know, is quite a lot of fun, man. And, um, you know, if people get the opportunity to do it and set their gear up, I think they can definitely have a lot of fun. But, you know, when you're reloading, trying to find that, you know, internal powder charge to make sure that you're getting the absolute accurate... Uh, you know, bullet you possibly can or the most accurate load you possibly can. It definitely starts to weigh on your mind about chasing accuracy all the time, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, look, um, for those that are into reloading and you know, chasing that uh, really good uh, con- consistent load that you can uh, um, shoot accurately with long distance, uh, it's a really, really enjoyable pastime and uh, and uh, can be quite challenging. I know I've done it with my 243 and... Uh, I've shot at stuff at 400 metres, which I think is pretty good. Um, I haven't had the ambition to take it further, to be honest, because of lack of time and and so forth. But, uh, yeah, I mean, long-range shooting, it's bloody fantastic. And, Jason, you've got quite a few podcasts on long-range shooting, and those who are interested should check those out. Yeah, absolutely. And we should do a couple more on long-range shooting. I don't think it's as hard as it needs to be. Um, you know, you can really get into it. With You don't have to have the most fantastic gear. You know, a good range finder is important. Obviously, a good set of binoculars is important. But, you know, learning what your load is doing and doing that trajectory validation. I actually did a bit of a video on YouTube. I just released it last week, Muzz. Um, if you go to my just Jason Selms pod, uh, sorry, YouTube page, you can actually look at it and some of the, you know, some of the stuff you need to sort of do that long range shooting. When I say long range, yeah, some people might consider long range to be, you know, over a kilometre. But I'm talking more of that, you know, 100 metres to 500 metres varmint shooting. And when you've got a rabbit out there at 400 metres, it's uh, not as easy as people make out. And uh, as I said in the video, Mars, very interestingly, uh, wind is a huge factor when you're actually shooting, especially with those lighter bullets. It's a huge, huge issue. And uh, when I was down the Riverina, a lot of the days we had quite significant you know, wind and not wind that was going in the same direction, not consistent. It was wind that was swirling around, fishtailing, and it made it very difficult to shoot. 
but you know, certainly when you've got the products, you don't need a lot of money to spend on it. You can get your basic rifle. You can get an application, a ballistics application, do some trajectory validation, and then you really should be on the money. And then you just need the application when you're in the field to punch in those numbers via you know, a, a range finder. And you should be hitting your target. It's not increasingly difficult. And I think a lot more people should have a bit of fun and get into it, I think. Yeah, absolutely, Jace. Um, look, uh, for, for, like I said, for those, for those who can apply themselves and, uh, you know, uh, learn the science behind it and uh, learn what it means to adjust for windage and adjust for bullet drop and all those things, then, yeah, that absolutely, especially all you youngsters who have, haven't really had that much experience with rifles beyond just buying your standard rifle and your standard cartridge off the shelf and then just uh, shooting at a range, uh, it is definitely uh, an eye-opener to see how much, for example, a 308 bullet or a 243 bullet can drop past uh, 300 metres. Uh, definitely uh, something to uh, look into there, Jason. All right, this is going to be our last podcast, especially for straight shooting before the end of the year, guys. Um, I've got a lot coming up. Uh, I think I'm going away for Christmas in, in Queensland again, spend time with family for about 10 days. So if you're up in Queensland, I'm probably going to bring a little bit of gear with me, I think. So if you're in Queensland, around that Gold Coast, Brisbane area, you know, feel free to hit me up at australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com. Love to do a few interviews uh, before I actually go home. So if I get the opportunity... Uh, to do that, that would be absolutely fantastic. And then, again, I wasn't planning on going to Mallacoota in Victoria this year, but my friend asked me again to go this time just for a couple of weeks, so I'm looking forward to that. That will be from around 10th or 11th of January to the end of January for a couple of weeks. So uh, I'm going to try and get as many shows and do as many shows as I can get out in between that time, guys. And uh, I'm with a new server now, guys, which is absolutely fantastic. So now I can schedule interviews so I can do them before. Uh, and have them post at a later date, which is absolutely fantastic. So going on to some listener uh, emails, Mars. This one, again, we said this on a previous show, guys, about this mental health thing. I'm just going to read a couple of these emails just out of respect for the listeners because, you know, I don't want to, you know, have them write in and not address, you know, their emails. But after this one, guys, I'd prefer we just move on from the mental health stuff. But uh, this one's from Nick. He said, G'day, boys. I know the subject has been done to death. <laughs> absolutely. So I'll keep this short and sweet. The issue with what Muzz wants to do in regards to mental health and firearms access ignores one of the pillars of the most justice systems, and that's due process. You should not be able to take away someone's rights or punish them in any way if they haven't done anything wrong. And I have to agree with the earlier emailer calling him a FUD. He also mentioned the no-fly list, which is another contentious issue in regards to gun rights in the US. And here's a link to a great video in regards to the point I'm trying to make. As always, keep up the good work. Well, thanks, Nick. Muzz, what's your thoughts? Well, look, that, that's all very good and nice, and I uh, appreciate the difference of opinion. However, it just doesn't work in reality, because in reality, you've got people who may be planning terrorist attacks, right? So what you're suggesting is that we don't arrest them unless they bomb someone, right? Okay? Does that really make sense to anyone? No, it doesn't. I mean, we should definitely arrest them before they can uh, kill someone, especially if we have uh, some evidence on them that they're planning something now. We've, in regards to mental health, obviously, you don't have substantial evidence. However, you do know that uh, these people who are, are, are prone to these sort of uh, acts of violence are mentally ill. So I, I don't think it's unreasonable to, to uh, suggest the things that I'm uh, suggesting, especially when you think about the political environment and how it negatively impacts gun owners when one of these wackos goes out there and kills uh, you know, um, a dozen people. So... 
Look, I appreciate the difference of opinion, but I think the subject's been done to death. We can all agree to, I guess, disagree. Um, but I, I do believe that we live in a different age. We live in a different era uh, to the, you know, compared to the 1950s and 60s. We live in an era of, uh, you know, a society that's highly dependent on a lot of uh, drugs that, that is, uh, you know, uh, highly uh, susceptible to mental illness in comparison to 50 years ago. And I believe that's something that we need to adapt to. So that's why I have my views. Uh, but other people are welcome to their views. It's fine, Jason. And we welcome all those people who wish to send emails in regards to the subject. We might have one more here too. But I wanted to talk about that too just quickly. We had the obviously the Burke Street issue with the guy trying to uh, you know knife someone the other day. There was a couple of weeks ago. You know, very sort of st- sad state of events. But it's interesting the the media articles that come out of that that say, well, you know, we thank every you know John Howard more than ever now that you know we've had these gun laws in place. Could you imagine if he had a gun? So it's interesting that the media. This wasn't coming so much from the government, but coming from the media that somehow now the most, I guess, morally superior position is to be unarmed. And when someone runs around knifing people and killing people, which is exactly what the guy did, the best they can come up with is, thank God we had these gun laws, because could you imagine if he had a gun? <laughs> I can't. Yeah. It blows my mind. It blows my mind. I know. It's, it's quite ridiculous. But uh, look, I still maintain... The position that I, I don't agree with uh, the John Howard laws whatsoever. I think that every person has, you know, passed the background checks and done their due, due diligence with the police and thus have a right to buy whatever they want to buy. I mean, um, like, like I said, it's, it's, uh, it's, I'm not a, you know, I don't agree with people saying that I'm a fud just because I don't believe the mentally ill people, you know, shouldn't have access to, to firearms. I, I think that's just a, I think common sense really, but that's just my opinion anyway. It's like when, same thing when you're talking to people too about, you know, registration. I get people that say to me, yes, absolutely, get rid of registration. And then you say, well, that would apply to pistols. And they're like, oh, no, 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 pistols can stay. And I'm like, what's the difference between registering registering a rifle, a pistol, or even, even if you go as far as saying, you know, people say, well, you know, we shouldn't really have fully automatic weapons, but semi-automatic, okay. But if, if the, that firearm is in the hand of good people, then what's the actual problem? Doesn't matter whether you're carrying a one-shot pistol or rifle, you're carrying you know a bolt action or a lever action or you know a, a semi-automatic firearm or a fully automatic. What really does it matter? How can people say no to registration of rifles yet? You know, uh, sorry, sorry, yeah, no to registration of rifles, but uh, oh no, we must keep in pistol you know registration. Again, makes totally no sense to me. Yeah, that's right. I mean, look, I don't believe in registration at all. Um, I don't believe it does serve any real purpose. I mean, the only, only ultimate purpose it serves is to disarm you, really, to take away all your legal guns. So, um, but uh, in regards to the pistol thing in registration, I'm not so mad, I guess, about the registration of pistols rather than mad about the fact that you just you can't take them out and go hunting and use them. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and, and use them for self-defense within the home. I mean, you can't use any gun, I guess, for self-defense within the home. But, you know, they, 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 those are the things that really um, that we really need, really need to fight for. But uh, um, in, those, in, that, in that sort of respect, uh, registration becomes like a minor issue. You know what I mean? Exactly. Um, it's the fact that you just can't, you know, legally use these guns for the purposes that you... So I can go out think. on a property, shoot a three oh eight, God knows how far, which is fantastic, I might add, mm. but I can't shoot yep. a pistol that might go, obviously, a lot less distance than, well, you know, say, a large-caliber 
you know, rifle exactly. cartridge. Exactly. So, you know, it just makes no sense at all, but it just comes down to just uh, it's part of the social engineering, I guess. All right, next one, very interesting one, guys. Uh, this was from Gary, and uh, we weren't sure about reading this one out, but we think it's good to go. So listen to the latest straight shooting, and I found what Muzz was saying about people who take mental health medication. Interesting, as my partner has been taking medication almost all her life, 30-plus years, and he's now keen to get her A and B license. Upon reading the license application forms from Victoria, it said something along the lines of, if you take mental health medication, you need to get a note from your doctor. So wanting to do the right thing, she went to her doctor who said, which is, this is coming from the doctor, I'm not willing to do that. I'll send you to a psychologist and they'll do it. No worries. Sounds fair, I guess. So long story short, the psychologist said you have to have a mental health plan and see a psychologist for years before you can get signed off for your firearms license. I guess my wife, or guess she, my wife, won't be getting her license anytime soon and neither will I, seeing as I promised I would get mine if she couldn't get hers. Thought you might guys might find this interesting. Regards, Gary. Yeah, thanks, Gary. That's that's a pretty good letter, and it, I guess it shows you that the most doctors, I guess, would be reluctant to sign off anything, especially uh, considering that uh, if you haven't been seeing a psychologist for years, and I guess that psychologist is confident that you're okay, they're certainly not going to be signing anything off uh, in re- with respect to your firearms license because if something does happen it's likely to come back onto them, I guess. That's basically it. The short end of it, isn't it, Jason? Um... Would you like to advertise on one of the most tech-savvy mediums on the internet? Then why don't you advertise with us on the Australian Hunting Podcast? If you have a product or business that you would like to promote, then we would love to hear from you. Become one of our partner advertisers by calling Jason on 0425 881 967 or email australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com. I mean, I just hate that, you know, it's like, I don't hate it. I mean, I guess the, I, I guess we come from the point that the government, you know, doesn't really know, do they? They don't really know what's going on and they can only go on, I guess, relying on health professionals. But it sounds like from any, from what I'm looking at here, Gary and his wife sound like good people and it sucks, you know, good people get caught up in a system where, you know, we just don't know, we just don't know and... You know, just a sucky situation, man. I wish there was another option for, you know, people that, you know, may want to get their firearms license. That it doesn't really take years. But, you know, I've got to go on the other flip side too where I, well, me, me and you haven't agreed in the past on this. But then we have had people that have got their firearms license, like the guy just here in Western Sydney, you know, what, about six months ago that killed himself and his kids. So just a yeah. really, it's a really tough situation. Listen, I understand where you're coming from sometimes, and I disagree in a lot of aspects, but also I can understand where the government doesn't know who's going to go bad, so the only option is to cut you off completely. And I guess I understand that. I don't agree with it, but I guess I can, I can somewhat understand where they're coming from because it's a very, very touchy subject, and one I guess that we can't you know, really solve by doing this show. But I really hate to see good people that... You know, don't have the, the you know, because I see there's a difference between, you know, someone like Martin Bryant who actually goes out and fulfills, you know, he, his ambition of wanting to kill a lot of people than the average person that has a little bit of anxiety, that needs a little bit of medication, that might want to go out and, you know, enjoy the shooting sports and get into a hobby without being, you know, vilified for having, you know, some sort of, you know, sickness or anxiety mm. that might get to the, yeah, it might get to them here and there and there's a little bit of medication. I feel it's just a shit situation, to be honest. Yeah, I know. Well, well, the key thing to me is is the medication. I mean, if they if they feel they're sick enough that they have to take these mind altering drugs, 
then 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 that's that's that that's that's the key thing to me and and then that's why um and and just based on a lot of the evidence that i've uh compiled over the years and i've looked at a lot of mass shootings and the reasons behind them and almost virtually 80 percent of the cases the person was on some sort of medication for uh, a mental illness so there you go so it's interesting when people say well they were a bit crazy and i thought well yeah you've got to be i think you're automatically crazy when you start killing people i mean is, <laughs> yeah. you know but then again uh, uh, is everybody crazy this is the most interesting thing perhaps people could be sane and going well this is what i do i'm going to go through with it and that's the end of it do they necessarily have to be crazy uh it's an interesting topic definitely so Matt writes, hi guys, just wanted to touch base and say I'm really enjoying the podcast. I only found about it recently after watching Aussie Reviews YouTube videos and it came in front of me via algorithms. Well, that's pretty good. I've uh, been around shooting on and off my whole life with a farming and relative with friends as well as my father being in Army Reserve while I was growing up. I only now getting into it more seriously, both for range-based fun, but also with a view to do more hunting in the future. Getting more exposure and going through the process of obtaining my own gun recently, I was surprised at how bad the law and licensing has become. Well, mate, we agree with you. I really <laughs> admire and support the passionate but level-headed evidence-based views put forward by your show and Aussie Reviews. I'm getting educated and motivated to spread the word and push the issues with my local clubs and politicians. Keep up the great work, and I'll be adding you to my list of Patreon donations. Matt, great. Join us on Patreon. You'll get all these podcasts in advance, and that goes for everyone too. If you want to join us on Patreon, please do. You'll get all the podcasts in advance. Mars, thoughts? Matt, fantastic. Uh, we need another 1,000 mats out there. <laughs> <laughs> I think we did 100,000 mats. Can you imagine yeah. if we had 100,000 mats that were dedicated, <laughs> writing to politicians, ringing calling this landscape of shooting would be a lot different in this country i can yes, promise you that yeah absolutely um i mean our biggest uh enemy i guess is our apathy and and it's uh rife and rampant amongst shooters i can tell you that and uh you know matt all the power to you mate good on you that's what we need we need more people like matt in the country that are going to uh, hopefully make a change one day. Okay, another one. Excellent one from Benjamin writes in, hey, boys, love the show. Just wanted to get some information from you guys regarding being a new hunter, going into or find a suitable state forest to hunt in. So I guess he's probably in New South Wales, but he hasn't said. After getting permission from the DPI online, how can you find suitable areas of state forest to hunt and camp? People don't want to give away their secret spots, which is completely understandable. However, being a new hunter, I have limited knowledge of where exactly in a state forest I can begin to hunt and camp and where and how I can gain access to decent areas of the forest. First thing I'm going to say is, Muzz, I think is get the, you can go on the DPI website. This is if you're in New South Wales, Ben, and I'm hoping you are because we'll give you this information, uh, is to get, first off, get the maps, the PDF maps off the DPI website. They are absolutely fantastic. You can put them in a program on your phone called Avenza Apps. And me and Muzz use it, all my uh, hunting friends use it. Absolutely fantastic. It's pretty much a GPS on your phone obviously it it won't register you on the map until you get to that particular area of the forest uh, you're hunting or the surrounding areas then it will show you on the map and you can mark spots mars what do you think about events a great resource yeah it's great resource but i think what uh what he wants to know is how do you know where the best places are to go hunting well you basically got to follow the animals mate that's basically what it comes down to and um where, what you got to do, you do your research where a lot of the deer are found, a lot of the pigs are found, 
Like, for example, I've got no problems telling you there's quite a lot of deer around the Canberra area, okay? So anywhere down near Canberra, uh, there's a lot of forest down there that you can go hunting, and how you know that you're going to find a good place is basically uh, through your, your normal evidence that you would find in the state forest. You would find uh, when you go walking around a lot of tracks. So if you find a lot of deer tracks or goat tracks or whatever it is, then you know, okay, this is a habitat for deer. Um, you'll find quite often uh, a lot of rabbit poo everywhere. If you see a lot of areas where there's quite a lot of rabbit poo, there's little pellets, uh, then you know, okay, well, this is a good place for rabbits. I mean, this is what you've got to get. This is what you've got to do. You've got to do your own groundwork. Okay, myself and Jason have uh, over the years travelled to heaps of state forests, and then when we find a really good habitat for a particular species, we remember that, and then we find a good uh, campsite near that habitat and then we can go back to that habitat uh, because quite often there is a uh, quite a lot of food for that animal within that habitat so they actually like it there because there could be a lot of water there could be quite a lot of foliage that they eat on or short grasses or whatever it might be so that's what you basically got to do mate you've just got to go to the first of all go to the forest in roughly the area where the animals are found and then within that particular forest You've got to do a lot, of, a lot of reconnaissance work. So your first trip, I would suggest that you just drive around a fair bit, have yeah. a look around, stop every now and then. If you see, uh, if you see game trails uh, going across the roads, because animals will cross the cross the dirt tracks quite often, you need to pay attention to the game trails. You need to pay attention to where they are. Where is the highest density of game trails? Um, because and you need to know the animal as well. Like for example. Deer are quite uh, territorial. They'll stick to a certain area, um, especially with the bucks who have a lot of the um, a, a lot of the does uh, around there, which they breed with. Um, you know, rabbits, for example, stick to a particular area where there's quite a lot of food for them. Um, so these are the things you need to find out. And once you've found a good spot, uh, then you can mark it in your GPS, find a, a decent campsite uh, within the area that you can go back to. And then you can hunt that state forest for quite a long time. And that's probably the best way, mate. That's like pretty much the ba- I'm giving you the basics yep. of, of what you need to look for. And we've learned when- so much, haven't we, pretty much over oh, the absolutely. last couple of years um, on what state forests are producing. And the biggest one for me, Muzz, I think you'll find this to be true, especially if you're going to areas where there's a lot of pine, it's very thick. Animals will tend to use quite a lot, actually, the tracks when they come out of game trails because you know they're pretty much like me and you. They don't want to do the hard yards if they don't have to, and they yep. will cut across areas. And one biggest thing for me was to find out if there was deer in a certain area, was especially during those winter months when it does get dew on the ground, is looking for those prints. And we've been to forests, haven't we, Muzz, where we've, we've yep. just looked at the ground and thought, oh, my God, how many deer are there in this forest? It's fantastic. Absolutely. Like, I mean, the ground sometimes is littered with prints. Everywhere yeah. you go, there's deer prints. Uh, you know, obviously, we like to keep uh, our hunting spots to ourselves. Uh, because uh, basically, I guess most hunters, when they find a good spot, they don't want yep. to tell anyone. Yeah, uh, that's just how how it is. I and guess. putting uh, in the effort and going back and going back, yep. and we we know some forests now, pretty much. I and mean, we've been to some forests. We know some of them like the back of our hand. But then also, we've only yep. the ones that we do know by the back of our hand. We've had good success in say certain parts of that forest, so we tend to go back to the same spots. We tend to revisit those, and then each time we go back to that forest, we might 
sussed out a little bit of a new area as well. One of the days we'll go for a drive in the morning for a couple of hours and we'll have a look. We'll suss out new areas, new terrain within that, within that forest. I mean, some forest muzz are so big. We, we've got a certain area of the forest that we know, you know, say a four or five, ten yep. kilometre radius. But other than that, we have, we've only visited, you know, maybe one or 2% of that particular forest. But we know what's yep. producing, what areas we know. We look at crossings to see if we can see any prints. That's been a big one for me, guys, prints, looking for prints, especially when it's wet, looking around those watery areas on, you know, dirt roads, uh, obviously inside the forest, and and you'll see prints, a lot of the prints coming from, say, one game trail to another. And as I said, me and Muzz have been to state forests and, like, looking at the ground, just going, I think we've di- hit, you know, the deer mecca, <laughs> you know, basically. <laughs> well, yeah, basically, your first trip should be more or less a reconnaissance trip to start to scope out a particular forest that you think might be producing, you know, some good numbers of animals, and um, and uh, the best time to the best time to go around and do a bit of reconnaissance is very early in the morning and obviously at dusk and late in the afternoon, uh, because that's when a lot of animals are moving as well. So you will actually not just see the prints but see the animals, because some animals don't produce many prints at all, like foxes, for example. You know what I mean? You could be an area. Uh, where there's quite a lot of foxes, and it's very difficult sometimes to spot fox tracks or anything like that. Uh, but uh, you'll, what you will do, you'll, you'll see them at the at those crucial times, like very early in the morning and uh, also um, in the afternoon. So the, they're the sort of things you need to look for. And to be honest, I've been in you know state forests in in certain areas where you think there'd be a lot of animals uh, because of the location of the forest, but there's absolutely nothing. Like I find absolutely nothing and. And I've been down south coast, for example, in some forest down there. Well, I kid you not, I've spent an entire weekend there, and I maybe found two or three root prints. That's it. That's it. I did not find any prints. We've or done any that before evidence. plenty of times, haven't we? I've found no evidence of any other animals whatsoever, including, uh, you know, the, their droppings or anything like that, right? And then there's certain forests, uh, for example, in northern New South Wales, or, uh, or thereabouts uh, up near the uh, Tamworth area, for example, right, where they're absolute uh, great forests and you'll find, you know, heaps of uh, uh, evidence of uh, deer and pigs and goats and rabbits and whatnot. So that's what you've got to concentrate on. And Every, f- finding, tell them about camping yeah. areas too, because how many times have yeah. we found using Google Maps? Because if you, you can actually get the KMZ Google Map file off the DPI website for New South Wales from Primary Industries, and you can actually download that KMZ file, and it, which is Google Maps, and you get Google Earth, and it actually overlays the map on Google Earth. And you can actually go there, and because you've got you know footage with photos from the satellites, you can actually see some great areas to hunt. So often we mark those areas and then we go and look at them because sometimes we get there and go, wow, this is a fantastic spot, great pickup on Google Maps. Then the next yep. time we look at something in maybe a different area, we look at it and say, well, no, this, we are, when you actually get there, it looks good, but when you actually get there, it's not suitable for camping. Yeah. So mark about four or five different camp spots and then go and have a look because especially if you're getting there late at night, uh, and you try and obviously leave, you know, home in the afternoon and get there late at night so you can start hunting the next morning. You know, you want to make sure you pre-plan when you get there because you don't want to be resetting up in night, not knowing where you're going in a new forest. And um, I think Google Maps and Google Earth is a, gr- a fantastic resource to use. Oh, yes, absolutely. So you would use your Avenza PDF maps in, in conjunction with Google Earth. And the reason why you use Google Earth is you want to look for those clearings 
where you think it'd be a good potential campsite, and you can usually spot them from the uh, from uh, from the satellite maps. So, uh, and then mark a couple of areas where you think it's good to check out, and then when you get there, uh, you can uh, pinpoint location uh, via the via the GPS, and it can take you there. Quite often, hey Jason, we've been to areas where it looks like it's a clearing, but it's on a really bad slope. Mm. And then, you know, it's just not suitable really to camp, otherwise you'd be rolling downhill. A lot of trees and shrubs yeah. and you can't get a good spot so, for your so camp. So you've just, it's just a bit of trial and error, but you will find, you will find some really good locations where you can create an, an excellent campsite. And usually some of those locations will be off the beaten track, a little bit away from the road so that most people can't see your campsite as they're driving along. Because me particularly, I, I mean, I, I'm not a big fan of camping right next to a road. There are some places where there's, not that much option and you might have to but you know i'd rather not but uh, anyway but that gives you a couple of tips on how you can plan your trip and uh locate a good campsite so once you have a good campsite in the good forest you can mark that you can mark that campsite in your gps so you can easily find it uh next time and you can then also be somewhere close to the animals and and like i would suggest that you try and find a campsite that's within walking distance to the majority of areas that you want to hunt and what i mean by walking distance is no more than, say, for example, 45 minutes walk, okay? So, um, you know, usually something that's within 30 minutes walk to your campsite is, is, is close enough. Uh, I, I wouldn't camp too close, but something like that would be appropriate. Uh, also, if you can't find a campsite that close, then, then make sure you know exactly where you want to hunt. And when you do drive down, make sure you drive down and leave the car at least 20 minutes walk away from the area that you actually want to hunt because you don't want to get too close with the car because animals can obviously hear from long distances away and um, and uh, you're going to you know spook them and scare them off. So that, that would be my advice. Renowned for their strength, reliability and attention to detail, Moroku shotguns are the perfect example of what a sporting shotgun should be. Moroku have been producing quality products for over a century and sold in Australia since 1963. Each Moroku shotgun is crafted with precision, from the MK Trap and sporting models to the all-round best-selling field shotgun, the MK70. Visit morokushotguns.com.au for more details and stockists. And what I've been finding too, guys, which has been fairly successful, I think Muzz has had good success doing this as well, is some of these forests, depends how thick they are, it's very difficult to see, you know, in front of you more than, say, 50 to 100 metres, sometimes even less visibility down to about 20 or 30 metres. So finding those open areas within those forests and then sitting and waiting, that's where I've had the most benefit, I think. Sometimes, guys, I've even on my last trip, I was, <laughs> Muzz might laugh at this, but um, he didn't come on the last one, but I found a really, really good spot that I scouted. I saw a lot of prints. I saw some water sources. And I thought, this looks like a good spot. I can see the deer are moving through. Uh, they're moving up the road, etc. And there was a big, very open area right in the middle, lush, green, beautiful. So I literally sat in that area, uh, and I literally parked probably, honestly, probably uh, 300 metres, maybe if I was lucky, away from that spot. Parked my car, got out of the car, walked down there. Literally the first day that I got there, never sat there before. I came over the top of this hill, down, mate, two deer there already, two deer there already. And obviously I'd spooked them because I wasn't ready for them to be there at that particular time. Uh, And then one, literally another one popped out in front of me probably 20 metres. I'm not good shooting freehand position standing up. I had a shot at about probably 75 metres, missed, thought, oh, that's it, I've completely blown it. 
Uh, came back the next morning again, sat in the same spot, saw a deer, and I, I was <laughs> daydreaming at this stage, thinking about something. Looked up, there was literally a deer, probably 25 metres in front of me, a good sized buck. Uh, didn't take it, obviously. I thought, oh, that's a good result. Let it go that afternoon to let it can- uh, calm down. Came back the next uh, morning, nothing, didn't see anything. Came back that afternoon, shot two deer in that same spot. Oh, there you go. Yeah, one fallow and one juvenile samba. I was actually quite surprised, guys. I was quite surprised. I didn't know deer hung out together uh, with different species. I didn't know that. If that's normal, I guess you guys know more than me. But I was quite shocked because when the first one popped out, it was quite dark and I just thought it was a chocolate fallow. Then I saw a fallow buck pop out. I took the buck first. The other deer ran to my right about 30 or 40 metres, stopped, and almost literally, I don't, I, don't think it was, um, yeah, but, yeah, I don't think it was meant to do that, but just it sort of faced me, but perfect shot, took that one too, and another nice deer down. So, you know, I find guys sitting and waiting. A lot of people want to walk around, and whilst that works, and sometimes, you know, covering ground is really, really important, um, it all depends on what type of hunting terrain you're in. And if the animals are in the area, guys, they're going to be moving around. They want to move. They have to move. They have to move to keep warm. They've got to move to get water. They've got to move to get food. They, they will do what they've always done unless they get interrupted in doing that. And they may move on a certain area. Uh, or, they may, or at least they may move on to another area until there may be some pressure and that area comes down until they feel more comfortable to come back to that area. But sitting and waiting, guys, yes, sometimes it's increasingly boring sitting there. And I think me and Muzz sometimes – I think, Muzz, uh, remember that time you, uh, I was sitting on a certain log in an area <laughs> – Muzz, uh, he, he, he sprung up on me to my left about, what, 15 metres, 20 metres away if I was lucky that he's going, boo, and I said, oh, shit. <laughs> I think I was looking at my phone at that stage, wasn't I? Yeah, it was quite funny because Jason was supposed to be hunting, yet, <laughs> yet, yet I, I was able to sneak up to him 15 metres away without him even noticing. And it's not, it's not, and it's not like I snuck up to him behind his back either. Yeah. I was like right in front of him. Yeah, I think something just caught. No, I think you were on my left. Remember, you were. I was sitting on. I was. Up, I might have just had a drink. I was having a bit of a rest, and then Muzz just came up to my left. It was, and I, I think I caught you out of the corner of my eye. I can't remember, but yeah, by that yeah. time it was about fifteen meters away. But, 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 uh, but anyway, the, the point was is I had uh, I yeah. had all this orange gear on me. <laughs> I had all this high vis on me. It's, it was hardly. It was. Hard. I was hardly camouflaged. Yeah, I, I mean, you could probably spot me from an aeroplane, mm. but uh, here I was able to sneak up the Jason yeah. 15 metres away. Uh, and, and if I was able to do that, well, then, you know, this just shows you what animals can do because they're obviously yeah. a lot more stealthy than I would be. It's, so it's interesting. It just goes to show. It just goes to show you've just got to keep your wits about you, keep keep an eye out, and you will you will see them. You, I mean, I've, I've, sat, I've sat so many times at, a, at a, what I thought was a good spot and then all of a sudden, you see these animals come out. I, I see, I see foxes run across. I see rabbits. I even saw once a, a small little pig, which I was about to shoot, but I didn't because I was wondering what was following the pig. If there was any more, and I and I left it. And you know, I I, I kind of let go a lot of animals because I didn't want to scare off what was coming behind them. And quite a lot of times, it's actually worked to my advantage. One time, I shot a really decent buck by doing that. Other times I've shot a, a really big pig by doing that. So, you know, it all comes down to, I guess, how uh, how, how much uh, composure you have as a hunter. Can you can you keep your finger off the trigger when you as soon as you see the first animal? You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, and you know, do what what 
and and comes down to what do you want to hunt? If you do you want to hunt, you know, foxes or rabbits? If that's the case, great, shoot the first fox or shoot the first rabbit. Yeah. But if you're looking for deer and you're in a spot and you're just sitting and waiting, mate, you those two foxes that just run by or those couple of rabbits that run by, you might just have to let them go. You know what I mean? Mm. Because because at the end of the day, if you if deer is what you're hunting, then you're just going to have to focus on waiting for that right opportunity. Even when deer does come, if it's in the shape of a small fallow, right, and you're really after a large fallow or a large buck, you may have to let that small fallow go because you don't know what's coming out of the bushes after that small fallow, right? Yeah. So that's what it comes down to, isn't it, right, Jason? And you're 100% because on that last trip, the yep. it was only by luck, pure luck, uh, they were coming out of this game trail onto onto another game trail and so onto where I was and so I looked up and that's where I saw the samba which I thought was a dark chocolate fallow at that stage and I was literally I had the gun and this all happened guys you got to be ready and I, I don't know how many times I've either been caught walking around or back to camp to you know meet the guys for lunch or something and I've been I've spooked deer and I turn around and then I see the white ass of a deer running off or two or three deer running off. God knows how many times I've done that. But even when you're sitting there, you can nod off and it not not off, but you can lose concentration, guys, for just a few moments. And that has happened to me twice, guys. I've looked up and there's I see the ass end of a deer running into the bush, or it's standing there with its eyes up, looking, going, What's going on? And it's in front of me about thirty meters away. So you always gotta be alert. You've always got to be know what's going in front of you. And when that when that samba came out I was actually about to shoot it. I did lift the gun. I was ready. And then something caught my eye out of the game trail. And that's where the fallow came out. And I thought to myself, well, okay, I'm going to shoot the fallow first. Obviously, it was a bigger animal, much more meat. Uh, and then I was quite shocked that, and if I'd known this before I'd pulled the trigger, I probably would have shot the other one first because the, the second one that I shot, which I thought was a fallow, as I said, turned out to be a you know, juvenile Samba. samba so and i've actually that was the first time i'd ever shot a samba guys on my last trip first time i've ever seen samba deer in that particular state forest so muzz is 100 percent right and then i got the chance to shoot the other one anyway because i was in an area that was quite open and i'd already done my research i knew it was a good area i knew the prints were on there I, it was water sources it was a perfect area and you know it paid off and on three occasions i saw deer at that particular location had a shot at one Saw him again the next day. Didn't see him that night, and then the next morning again. Shot three. Uh, sorry, three. Shot two deer. So mm. it was great. It was great. And uh, again, I had the up on them guys. The wind was perfectly blowing back the other way towards my vehicle, which I said was only three hundred meters away. I mean, yeah, you can do it tough. You can, you know, if you're fit enough, which I'm not, to put you know miles on the legs. So be it. But I like finding a spot, sitting and waiting, because you've got the up on the deer. That that's the most important thing, I reckon. Of course, smell I think is one the most important now that I've hunted deer. But if you can get the up on them, you, you're much more chance of success of being able to shoot them. If you're walking around on you know walking up dirt roads and through trails and making noises, I've done that for years and I had literally had no success doing that. Uh, of course, you can have success doing that. Not saying you can't, depending on how fast you move, and even with me, Muzz, moving very slowly, just I just yeah, you know, that little crack of noise from a little twig, mate. These things are used to being hunted. They know people are around there, but they're also used to Muzz. I find they're used to you know an element of cars, logging trucks being in the area. They're used to an element amount of you know human activity in those forests. Yes, that's so, right. Hmm. That's anyway. right. I mean, especially with the cars driving around. I mean, a lot of animals are used to hearing the sound of a ute or something like that coming around the bend, and they'll still cross the road anyway. And quite often, you'll surprise them 
but uh, to be honest, Jason, like you said, I've found that the sit and wait method is probably the most successful, the one that you'll get the most animals with uh, and the best animals with, to be honest. Uh, you just got to find that particular area, the game trail, and you've got to find a spot that you can you can sit at and be, uh, I guess, camouflaged well enough, usually try and blend in with the tree or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you've got adequate sighting distance uh, from where you want to shoot and the areas that you want to shoot. And obviously you make sure that uh, you can take a, a safe shot as well so that you're not shooting over a hill somewhere or anything like that. Um, and uh, once you've got that particular spot, uh, set up your chair uh, or even go prone even, lie down on the ground yeah. and just yep. sit and wait. Sit and wait. That's basically what it comes down to. And be quiet and be patient. If you can sit somewhere too, Mars, where I found what best worked for me in this one, I found like I was sort of, when I say a hill, it just went up a little bit. And what I did is there was a few shrubs there, you know, perfect. So I, what I did is I just you know quickly put my foot down, you know, knocked a few of the shrubs down just a little bit. I sat down there, so I was sort of camoed by the shrubs. Perfect part about it was it dipped down just below my leg, so I was able to bring my left leg up. So when I was shooting, I was able to bring the gun up and rest my left elbow on my thigh, which gave me a huge advantage. You know, even though I was only shooting at, you know, 70 or 80 metres, um, I've missed deer closer than that sometimes shooting prone. I've come up on a hill, my heart's racing. Oh, shit, there's a deer. Oh, my, my scope's bouncing all over the place because my heart's racing. Bang, gone, deer missed. So get in those yep. positions. And I've shot a few deer even. I've got some great positions where I'm on the side of a hill looking down a perfect area. I can find a place where I can sort of lie down in a prone position with a bipod. So much easier. So much easier. Yeah. Now, the biggest misconception, Jason, that I'd like to discuss with the hunters out there is this idea that if you're sitting and waiting in one place that you're not going to see much. Now, it all, that can be true at times. It all depends on where, where you are sitting and, and what, what is the location. Quite often, a lot of people are under the impression that if they walk around the forest, they're going to see a lot more. But that's not always true because when you are walking around, you're also spreading your scent, you're making sounds, you're, you're, you're stepping on branches, things like that. And whatever animal was around the bend and was about to cross your path is usually going to go away from you, right? So that can work to your disadvantage as well. Um, look, I've seen animals walking around and I've also seen heaps of animals just staying still. I've definitely seen a lot more animals staying still, that's for sure. Uh, because then you get the advantage of them, uh, advantage on them. Uh, they uh, basically usually cannot see you until they're really close, unless you're moving, of course. When you are moving, they can see you from from distances. Absolutely, so, um, yeah. yeah. So, so but, but when you're still and not making a sound and not moving, uh, they're usually animals that are pretty much blind to you, to be honest, especially if you're amongst the shrubs. And they're only going to ever spot you um, uh, when they're really close. And by that, by that time, it's usually too late. It was... You've already got them. You already got them in your crosshairs. Looking for outdoor equipment for your next adventure? At Aussie Outdoor Gear, you can find cooking equipment, camo clothing for kids, backpacks, camo accessories, and much more. We cater for your hunting, fishing, camping, hiking, and other outdoor pursuits with our unique product range. AussieOutdoorGear.com.au Quality gear at affordable prices. It was interesting on that trip where, you, where I said I missed that on that first day, right? When I looked down over the hill, the deer was already there eating. And then it looked up at me, but I was sort of behind a tree as I was just coming over the crest. But it knew something was up. It darted into the forest, and that's when... 
One to my left, a small fallow doe, literally came from the game trail down into that little area where it was all nice and you know beautiful for eating, but it didn't look right to see me. It was like 20 metres away, if it was lucky, and... Yeah. I- and then I was looking de- as it came across from my, from straight in front of me down into the area where all the nice food was and the water was, a perfect shot position. It was going away from me, and I was like, "This is great, mate." First day, I've I've just literally parked my car three hundred meters away, and there's a deer. Now an opportunity to get a first deer on the first day, and I missed. But it just goes to show, guys, if you're not moving, it didn't even look to the right to see if I was there. It had no idea that I was there. But obviously, because I spooked the buck, obviously. He ran into the bushes. No, probably about 40, 50, 60, probably more, probably 70, 80 metres away from each other because this was a good-sized open area, probably about 100 metres by 100 metres. And obviously when it went to go into the bush and knew something was up, the doe thought, well, I'm going too, and was over to my left feeding, which I didn't see. Came out of the game trail right in front of me, and you know, obviously the rest is history and I missed. But yeah, of course. just goes to show, guys, if you're not moving – you know, if you're not moving they and, and the wind's in the right direction, they do not know you're there. Sometimes I've had them where they've popped out in front of me, wind's in my face, absolutely perfect situation. And they've come out and they're feeding and they're just looking around. They're looking around like something's up. They just know something's not right. So sometimes I've had that before where, you know, they pop out and they've got absolutely no idea. You can tell by their body language they've got no idea. And then yep. other times... They've popped out in front of me 100 metres away. They're looking around. They gallop a little bit. They're looking around. I thought, there's no way. I've got my little powder puffer, which shows the wind is in my direction. There's no way they could possibly know I'm here. But they just do. Sometimes yeah. they just do. They've got a sixth sense, I reckon, some of these deer. Yeah, of course. They, they would They would have a sixth sense and, 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 and feel that there's something not right. But usually they, it takes them a lot of time to work out that there's something not right and mm. it's usually just enough time for you to lift up your gun and put them in the crosshairs. That's right. But, um, but yeah, like you said, the wind does play a major factor as well. So whatever spot you do find uh, out there, if you think it's a great spot, just make sure you're aware of the wind direction because if, you're, if you've got the wind behind you and you're looking out to the, your spot, then anything that's going to there's nothing likely going to come in front of you because it's going to smell you from miles away. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know. And I've I had mean, them look- smell me before, man. I've been there and it's came from my left to my right and my, let's say the scent was going, you know, directly behind me, yep. sort of quartering away. As soon as they've come past me to my right, I'm looking at them, looking at them. They get to, you know, say my, you know, four o'clock position behind me because I'm looking at the 12 o'clock. They've, as soon as they smell that scent, oh, this one just pushed off its legs and it was... <laughs> Ooh, gone like you, like the like the Roadrunner, and I was looking at it, and I this was a fairly open area, and I looked at it probably for about a kilometre, and it was still run, still running flat out at a kilometre. He <laughs> was in the open area, and I'm like, man, that's the yeah. difference that scent makes. So, guys, don't take scent, you know, as a low part of what you're doing when you're hunting. It's a huge part. Exactly, and whatever you do when you go out there hunting in the morning. Don't brush your teeth. Uh, don't put on deodorant. Okay, anything that's an unnatural scent, don't worry about it. Brush your teeth when you get back, not before. So that's that's a very important tip. Um, uh, look, a- anything you can do to avoid any unnatural scents on you, do it because it's going to help you out ultimately. But you see, Jason, look, we've been talking about hunting for almost half an hour yeah, now. Yeah, we're, we're, we're <laughs> going to go into the- once, once, 
once me and you get started on talking hunting, we could just talk for hours. No, it's a great know. question. It's, it really is a good question. Yeah. And this probably goes into our next one because we do need to discuss this, Muzz, about deer hunting. So this is from Matthew. He said, yep. hi, Jace. As you may know, there is a petition currently on the go to allow a three-year trial of public land hunting in Queensland, which is great news. Currently, they have just under 9,000 signatures. Then he posted the uh, parliamentary link. Clark McGee has a very strong opinion on it. I think he's a, a hunter and quite well known in the industry in Queensland. He is opposed to the idea of open slather slaughter and eradication of a game species and would prefer to adopt a game management approach. Uh, we'll discuss that part in a minute. He's the founding member of the Ridge Group and is fighting to have deer status changed in Queensland from pest to game. I reckon he will be a great person to have on your show. So that's interesting. I want to talk about, well, again, this is, this is what I've got a major problem with, Muzz, in, you know, there's so many different rules around Australia surrounding deer. Victoria, it's game. In New South Wales, it's game, and you can only hunt them certain times of the year. That's changed now, and we are going to go that in just a few moments. Uh, in, you know, Queensland, it's classified as a pest animal. Uh, but going on to that, Muzz, let's talk about, before we address Matthew's question there, in New South Wales, they did just change the rules, guys, uh, around some, some stuff on public land. Now, you still, most of it is still the same, but in New South Wales, you couldn't hunt certain types of deer species after, I think it was October 31st. Yeah. Uh, so now they've basically withdrawn that entirely, so you can hunt deer year-round. Uh, obviously, you still got to obey the codes of conduct. Uh, you can hunt all species year-round on public land and private land, yes. Now, this is the most interesting part, Mars. Now, we, we, we used to talk about this quite a lot on our previous shows. Now, it says, may you use a bait, lure, or decoy to attract deer. It says yes on private land, and now it's yes on public land. And then it says does yep. not include poisoning baits, which is understandable. So people that many years ago that we used to talk about, let's say I wanted to start you know, using corn, a maize feeder, whatever it may be, uh, lick blocks or one of those types of yep. molasses blocks or those types of things, or a deer feed was completely illegal under the previous system so yep. uh, obviously you still can't hunt deer at night in state forest which is understandable due to safety reasons um, then it says may use a spotlight or other electronic device it says yes on public land sorry private land but no on public land and i do want to contact them guys uh, about what constitutes an electronic advice because above that it says may use a bait lure or decoy now i'm wondering if people have been using um, you know, deer sounds, electronic deer sounds on, on Bluetooth or that sort of thing, on a Bluetooth speaker or something like that, and whether that's going to be allowed under the new system or that comes comes up under other electronic advice. So I'll yeah. let you know on the next show. But um, obviously the game species hasn't changed. Pretty much the only thing has changed is that you can hunt the deer all year round and you can now use baits, lures or decoys to be able to, uh, to lure deer onto public and or private land provided you've got permission to be able to do that. What are your thoughts on that, Muth? Yeah, I think it's uh, great news. I mean, we should be able to uh, hunt deer all, all year round. I've always believed that. Um, I don't believe we should have seasons or anything like that. Um, but I'm certainly against, I am against making deer a pest species, um, which is why I, I don't support uh, Queensland maintaining deer status as a pest species. And the main reason is because if you turn them into a pest species, then you'll have all sorts of uh, Greens politicians wanting government programs to drop all types of um, poisons and stuff like that onto 
onto deer. But let's and say, what's the difference between dumping poison? Because obviously people are going to ask this. I did see a lot of questions on Facebook. People saying, oh, yeah. this is the end of deer hunting in New South Wales. You're not going to be able to get any big animals now. And I'm like, well, but it doesn't happen in Queensland. doesn't happen in Victoria, of the yep. two states that I know of, you can hunt you around. So why? They go, oh, but it's the gestation period. They're, you know, they've got fawn on the tit, so to speak. But what's the difference between fawn on the tit in Queensland between fawn on the tit in Victoria? Well, yeah, look, it's, it's a good question. Look, um, I guess my only point of view is that I, I think they should remain a game species because I don't think I, I, I don't believe in government programs delivering any kind of good results, whether it be for hunters, whether it be for... So we don't want them poisoned, pe- basically. We don't want to get nah, p- poisoned. whether it be for the purpose of pest management or anything else. I mean, look at how they slaughter horses, for example, from from helicopters, you know, and things like that. It's just, you know, it's just horrific. And it's not, it's not something we should in- endorse. Uh, it's certainly not something that uh, we should... Um, condone in any way uh, forest management should be left up to the people okay and in terms of the people meaning uh, proper management of hunting okay and uh, and the, the people should be allowed to use certain aids to help them improve their hunting absolutely uh, and I, I just think that the that the Queenslanders should be trying to get a Victorian or a New South Wales style model adopted in their state. Mm, there was okay. a lot of issues between two different parties saying, well, farmers have got yeah. these on their land. You know, you haven't seen the damage these things do. You know, pull your head out your asses. They should stay as pest species. So a lot of different opinions oh, on look, a lot of different sides, think, you know. I just don't think it's going to be a big issue whether it stays pest or game species for farmers. I think it just comes down to the per- people's right on their own land. A farmer yeah. should be able to eradicate any animal on their own land. This if, is, if and again, going back to that. I mean, if, it, if, it's, if it's creating a problem for the farmer, regardless mm. of the status of the animal. But then why do I honest. need a G licence, right? Because don't forget, guys, if you're not from this state, an R licence lets you hunt on uh, public land and private land. It's both inclusive. But if you yep. only have a G licence, which is what they call a general licence, general game licence, you have to have a licence in New South Wales to even hunt deer on your own private land, which I, I just, I'm sorry, I know it puts people in jobs and people think it's fantastic. Uh, I don't agree with the bureaucracy to put people in jobs just because it puts people in jobs. There's any farmer for any reason, or any, I don't care if they're even farmers, any private landowner should be able to hunt and shoot and kill any species on their land at any time. I, I even say that with kangaroos. I think, what, why are we protecting kangaroos? You know that, Mars. How many times have we gone to state forests? Uh, everywhere. And I'm seeing more roos and wallabies than I'm seeing deer, pigs, goats put together. And they're causing yep. massive, massive problems to farmers' fences. Oh, but people say you can get a permit. Mate, it's my private land. And I, need yeah. to, and I need to remove animals because I'm cropping, because I'm doing whatever, or even if I don't even do that, and I want to remove animals from damaging my land, I should be able to do that. There's absolutely yeah. no reason for a G licence to hunt on your own land in New Look, South Wales. I, I agree. I'm a, I'm a big proponent of uh, you know, uh, land rights, people's, people's rights on their own private land. Um, you know, if, it was a, if it was the government doing it and they wanted to cull kangaroos, not a problem, mate. Sign it off and bang, you can cull thousands. But, you know... If poor old Farmer Ted uh, wants to uh, shoot a few roofs or whatever it is, he's got to jump through hoops and get all these permits. Got to get some permission from some bureaucracy, you know, to shoot, you know, to 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 protect his, um, you know, crop or whatever it might be. That's ridiculous. Look, private land, it it should be up to the landowner. Okay, 
the only exception to that rule should be if there's a particular, for example, if there's a particular protected native species like koalas or platypus or whatever it is, sure, fair enough, okay? You can't just allow open slaver to the private landowner to, to, to be shooting animals like that. But what, any, when it comes to any other animal that damage, damages crop, which is basically comes down to, the, you know, pigs, roos, uh, deer, uh, yeah, ghosts, foxes. Fox, I mean, you know, the, the, the whole, you know, the whole... Uh, Rabbits, you know, building uh, warrens yeah, on the farmer's yeah, property and causing stock yeah, to all, break All legs. those animals, all those animals that, that, that can damage crop and cause problems for the farmer, the farmer should be allowed um, to cull them if he feels it's necessary or to at least uh, invite people on his land and just give them the permission to do it. So, um, yeah, I strongly believe in that. Uh, look, the Queensland guys up there if you've got a petition nine thousand, look to me to be honest guys you need to get more people up more people to sign this petition you need to get above that ten thousand mark get more people to sign this petition okay so if you all you guys in queensland listening to the podcast at the moment if you've got a friend that's a hunter wherever it is they haven't signed it get on it get on it sign this petition uh throw your su- support behind it Tell them that you want a model that's similar to the Victorian and New South Wales model uh, and, and tell them that you 100% support it. So this is very important, Jason. It's only going to have a lot of people start to get off their butts, ring up your local member, tell them you think it's a great idea, support it. And, um, and if you have enough people on those phones and ringing up the politicians and uh, making sure that the politicians know exactly what you think about it, then hopefully it'll happen. But um, like I said, apathy is our biggest enemy, Jason. If we just all sit back and do nothing, well, don't expect anything to occur either. Absolutely. I might add on to that, those new deer hunting regs as of November 2018, you still can't hunt from a motor vehicle. So the ones that are still a no is hunting at night, using a spotlight or other electronic devices, still a no, and you can't hunt from a vehicle. All the rest have gone yes. So you can hunt deer species all year round. Uh, and you can use baits, lures, or decoys to attract deer other than the use of poison. So you can go to that dpi.newsouthwales.gov.au forward slash hunting forward slash rules and regulations. So check that out on the DPI website. Uh, and that yep. does rules apply from the 16th of November 2018 for a period of three years until the 15th of November 2021. So that's uh, interesting for people that wanted to know that, that do do hunt deer in New South Wales. Mars, a very interesting one here. I'm going to go back to it. This is some good stuff, and we're going to run this. This is more of a letting people know. Uh, Adam, a guy from Five Star Games, contacted me on Facebook and sent me an email. So he works for Five Star Games, which is a company. I'm not sure if they make games, but they import games, uh, and they obviously sell them to Australian people. So he's given us two Nintendo Switch games. Uh, one is Cabela's The Hunt, and the other one is... What was the other one? Uh, Bass Pro Shops, The Strike Championship Edition. So we've got a hunting and a fishing Nintendo Switch games to give away. So we're going to be check out the Facebook page for the first game giveaway before Christmas. Probably I might do that around the 20th and you know, give some, maybe announce it on the 25th, maybe or just after Christmas, and I'll send that out when I get back from Queensland. So I want to thank Adam from Five Star Games. Of course, you can buy those two games already. They're on sale from EB Games and JB Hi-Fi, so look for that competition on Facebook, and uh, I think it's going to be good to give out those games, Mars. So great stuff from Five Star Games. 
Yeah, fantastic. Coming up now, we're going to talk about some of our stuff that's happened in the media, as we normally do on the show. Uh, today, I want to talk about uh, Corey Bernardi. Someone sent me this off Facebook, so I want to thank that person that sent me uh, one of his podcasts. He does a weekly podcast. So what we're going to do, he talks about him just getting his firearms license. He's got his pistol license. He talks about it a fair bit on Twitter. And obviously, people are giving him a bit of shit about becoming a pistol shooter. But he has some very interesting things to say uh, when somebody writes into his podcast about shooting. Uh, and whether his finance policy puts him on the ticket of the Greens. So, Muzz, we're going to play that now from Corey Bernardi and his podcast, um, and we'll come back and we'll have a chat about it. Helena writes, Corey, so many of us love you. Well, thank you, Helena. But this is where it becomes interesting. Your view on the guns issue has you on the Greens ticket. Living in rural Australia, our guns are not just for sport, they're for survival, for food, and as police are never here allegedly for protection. An armed society is a polite one, and no wonder the Greens hate the guns because with the current policy they fear no one. We need castle laws here to protect us from any extremist, even the Greens snooping on our properties. Well, I'm sorry to disappoint you, Helen. I hope you don't stop loving me, but... Uh, look, I just, I, I have nothing against guns. I'm undergoing a, a, a gun license uh, process myself because I find them interesting and I quite like shooting. But I don't want to see people carrying guns around in the street in this country. I don't think that we need people with more guns. I mean, they have a legitimate use, as you say, for food, for hunting, for sport for enjoyment and at times for protection too. But does that mean I think everyone should have guns lying around in their house unsecured? No, I don't. An armed society is a polite one. Well, not necessarily. Uh, you know, we're meant to be a polite society uh, and we're not all armed. Courtesy is a product of society. And no one could say that America's a polite society. It's more polarised than ever before. And it's got the greatest gun-owning culture on earth. Guns neither make you more polite or a better person. And um, I understand the argument that, you know, now if you make guns very hard to get, only criminals have guns. Well, criminals will have them any time, any way. Um, where there's a legitimate use, look, I've got no problems with them, but I do not want to see people walk in the streets. And castle laws, you know, a man's a man's home is, is his castle or a woman's home is their castle to be PC. But does that mean you should just be able to pop off any green that comes snooping on your property? Really? Sorry, Helena. Hope you're still feeling the love. All right, Mars, what do you reckon? You go first. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, look, I'm a big fan of Corey Bernardi. I think he's got a lot of common sense policies. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, what he stands for, but... Uh, in terms of guns, I don't, I don't think he's quite there yet. So um, hopefully one day he will be. You know, you never know. People do change. People um, evolve. They grow. Their political position does change, um, you know, over time. But uh, you never know. Hopefully one day, at the very least, he, you know, let's hope he doesn't become an enemy of gun owners, right? Mm. So that's what, we, that's what we don't want. We don't want any more enemies. Um, so, look, I'll... I, I'm okay with that. It's, his position is understandable. I'm, I'm glad that, you know, he's uh, getting his license, he's shooting, and hopefully, you know, uh, some of his perceptions might change on certain issues. But um, in regards, uh, look, he's obviously not going to be a big advocate of some of the things that me and you propose, Jason, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. But, uh, but at least hopefully he won't be a staunch enemy. Because he talks about self-defence, and, you know, I just get concerned with... 
Yeah, this is my major concern, man, that a lot of people getting into the sport these days don't think like me and you because they don't really know any different. You know, we're, I'm, no. I'm 37, I'm almost 38, you're in your 40s. So it's, it's interesting that, you know, a lot of people that have come in since Port Arthur was 20 years ago. And I've, kept, I've been saying this for a while now that we need to start achieving the results because, you know, people say vote for pro-gun parties and I totally get that. I totally get that. And it's a good thing, but the and I've been saying this for a while, Mars. The only time we can our program parties is if, a if we have enough people in parliament, which, as you know, we generally don't. We don't have enough people in parliament representing pro gunners, and we ha- or we have to have a balance of power. And when we do get that balance of power, we can't squander that balance of power. And we have squandered that balance of power in the past and achieved absolutely nothing when we've had the balance of power. So that's something we need to do. And people say, well, what are you recommending? Voting for major parties? No, absolutely not. But I would like to see, at some stage, pro-gunners that think like me and Muzz, not obviously us, but people getting into parliament, into those major parties, and trying to, trying to start to force change from the inside. Because it's like, let's use Queensland for an example, Muzz. I mean, mm. let's, who can change the gun laws in Queensland? You tell me. Who's the only party that can change gun laws in Queensland currently? Labor. Labor, Labor of course. Exactly. Well, whether they obviously won't, but that's the only mm. – we don't have a balance of power. Well, the that's, only that's, people, the only party, that's the only party at the moment. That's in government, yeah. Because they've got the numbers. Exactly. Exactly. So if we don't have a balance of power, the only party that can currently change a law in that Pacific state is the party that's currently in government. And that's the, that's the Liberal Party in New South Wales. That's now the Victorian, uh, sorry, the Labor Party in Victoria as well. Mm. So we've, when we do have the balance of power, we can't squander it and we need to achieve something. And the whole, yeah, thank you for the handshake. You know, we appreciate it. Now are you going to do what you said you were going to do for us? Never, ever eventuates. And I would make that very clear in future to all politicians. We're happy to support you in this particular endeavour, but we need to get this through. Our constituents, they've been, you know, burnt in the past. You're, oh, but hang on, you know, if we just get this... No, no, sorry, no, sorry. We need to get this done because if we don't, the quicker we get this done, the quicker we can sign off on yours and we'll all be happy. It's, it's pretty simple yeah. stuff, I think, really. And if people say, well, that doesn't work, well, what other options are there? Then, you know, that, that means there's no real point in voting for a pro-gun party if we can't actually achieve results by making it happen during when they've got balance of power. So... yeah. I don't know. What do you think? Oh, look, uh, yeah, we we definitely need some tangible results. Are you looking to buy a new or used firearm? Do you want to sell that safe queen to fund your next purchase? Then go to OzGunSales.com. We have over 200 registered firearms dealers Australia-wide and thousands of shooters using the site daily. There are over 2,500 firearms listed, so you're certain to find exactly what you're looking for. We have over 50 years of firearms industry experience, including 8 years online. So why wouldn't you advertise with us? The one and only genuine original OzGuns. And to be honest, people say we have we haven't achieved that much. We had, we just haven't. I know it's nice to say we've achieved some small things. We've got some range funding, mate. I totally understand that. But we've achieved nothing in regards to the NFA. Absolutely big fat zero. We've had guns that have been taken off us. We've had appearance laws being pushed on us. We've lost the Adler. We lost the Riverman OAF. You know, Queensland. They're having major problems with the uh, was it the Wedgetail WT15. You know, and they don't even have to do anything these days. They just say, well, you know, we're reclassifying this gun. So good luck in the future you're not going to yeah. be compensated for it and they're very smart now that they're now reclassifying them that this is their new move guys it's their new move to reclassify so you don't have to you can't have it and they don't have to pay you at the same time yep 
exactly. You know, it's disappointing. Well, it just comes down to the only reason they can do this, obviously, is because we don't have enough political clout uh, and we don't have enough politicians in the mainstream parties that can support us. But we need, you know, more politicians like, uh, I guess, David Lionhelm and, you know, Robert Borsak and, and so on. There's a lot of politicians out there and obviously One Nation, uh, Bob Catter, uh and uh, Robbie Catter, of course. There's a lot of politi- pro-gun politicians out there that you can vote for. You just got to find who are they. And, uh, I know, but even those guys, you know, a lot of talk, man, a lot of talk. Right, but for not, I know, I know, listen, it's difficult, right? We don't have the numbers in part, yeah, we don't have balance but, of power. There, but, there's, but here's there's the thing, Jason. But here's the thing, right? I, I'm not upset at politicians for talking, and I guess when you don't have the balance of power, what you can do really is talk and try and influence people uh, around you and basically fight uh, fight for the for the rights of gun owners and make the the, the points in, on behalf of the gun owners and your constituencies, right? So that's pretty much all you can do, and uh, and you can debate vigorously debate in parliament uh the merits of certain policies and why you believe in them and so on which is good that's what we expect our program politicians i just to think do. we need to move away man from you know the boys will be boys and patting your mates on the shoulder and say well yeah mate you're next to take over the cushy job we actually need professionals mate professional people that know about gun laws that know about you know schmoozing up to politicians you know the old days of putting your old mate hunter in there Mate, they're long gone now. We've got, we've got to start moving on to more professional people, people that are, yep. like, you know, and I hate to say seasoned politicians, but people that actually know about gun laws have 100% their heart in gun laws and changing the current system and not being afraid to say that. I just hear this all the time where people say, well, we're not looking for change. Well, I am. I am. Well, stop, yep. stop speaking yep. on my behalf. And I've seen that quite recently with, um, and I've had, a, I've had a chat to Laura from SIFA. Uh, the Shooting Industry Foundation, I'm, you know, they're saying they support the NFA. Well, I don't support the NFA. I understand they've got exactly. to support the current framework because, you know, that may make money for oh, manufacturers. I, 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 but... just don't, I just don't understand how you can expect to make change and then and then state in the very first, you know, thing, some of the things that you say that, oh, we support the NFA. Well, if you support the NFA, what sort of change are you expecting to make? Yeah. Same um, thing as Bridget McKenzie, yeah. a, a good supporter of firearms owners. I'm not going to knock that back, but... In a nutshell, you know, we support the NFA and, and, you know, science. Well, what kind of science do you support? That That's a failure. I mean, everyone knows that. You know, I can point yes, out – we, we've pointed out hundreds of cases of this on previous shows recently uh, and, exactly. uh, and over the years, you know, but it's just and, painful. And this is the problem, Jason. It's a way for them to try and garner support from the shooting community without actually having to do anything for the shooting community. Mm, yeah. um, so it's like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm a shooter. I, 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 I go shooting. I've got guns. Oh, yeah, but oh, but we, we support the NFA. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, no worries. It's like saying, yeah, I'm one of you, but hey, I'm not really going to do anything for you. And that's why you I've know? got some major concerns too, and I spoke about this previously. I think it was on – I'm not sure we did on one of the shows, but this is why I get concerned about you know people from our own side and whether it be – I'm not going to mention any organisations or whatever, but you know, a lot of what we do, Muzz, here, and a lot of these laws really help out Shooting clubs, they really do. You know, like uh, what, what I mean by that is, you know, in 1996, they forced you to become a member of a club. So why would, and it's just, it's just a basic question, I'm basically talking about money here, why would an organisation, even, I mean, I'll be honest with you, SSAA, say Shooters Union, Australian Deer Association, not them in particular, because I know a lot of them do support what we're saying, but just mm. for an example, why in the future 
would they want to get rid of some of these laws if literally their whole business model relies on the current system? It makes no sense to me. And I can imagine when people say, you know, working behind the scenes seems to be, you know, the, 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 the in you know, discussion these days or the in lingo. But why would, they, why would they let people hunt with pistols on private land when you have to go to a range? Why? Because most people that might have access to land will say, well, I'm not going to join a club anymore. I can now go use my pistol on my own private land so I don't have to do that. I can imagine 100% not going to mention any particular organizations or anything, but they, they will, I think, honestly, people would, that they would actually advocate against those types of things yeah. because it affects their bottom dollar, which is hugely yeah. disappointing. They say, oh, well, no, we don't. We don't know what discussions go on behind closed doors at all. We're not involved yeah. in those behind-the-door, closed-door discussions. And I can imagine they would say, well, hang on, if we get rid of genuine reasons, there goes 80% of our business. So behind closed doors, we're going to say, no, you know, we, we don't approve of that. That's not a good way to go. That's dangerous. And then obviously politicians, if we haven't got our major organisations saying that, they're going to drop it straight away. It's not even going to come up for discussion. Same thing as pistols, yeah. you know? I mean, you know, this is, you're right. You've pointed out the problem. There's a lot of these laws that are actually beneficial to clubs. Oh, 100%. And, clubs, and the clubs are not too keen on getting rid of them. Because, uh, because, because it's their, it, their cash cow. That's right. It means they'll lose you know, out on get money. The, get but, your hands uh, out. Start milking those teats, yeah. mate. Start milking the teats, you know? Yep. So so that's what it comes down to eventually. And uh, and uh, it's going to be They've had 20 tough... years, Mars. They've had 20 years, right, to, to come up with a different business model, and they haven't done so. So, you know, it's a shame if they – I hate to see you know, good, honest people go out of business and, com- and companies and rangers and pro-gun people go out of business. But, you know, you've had your time there. It's time to start making changes if these laws – do have some changes in the future. Yours business model is, you know, uh, strong enough to, to survive. It's strong enough to survive, you know. But at the moment, it's easier to take people's money, you know, genuine reasons, easy to take money. You have to be a member of a club, take their money. Uh, you know, same thing as pistols, rangers, you know, you can't use them on private land. And I can imagine we behind closed doors, we'd be getting sold out. I can guarantee it. But you know what? There are there are some middle ground areas, right? And this is, the, this is what disappoints me. A lot of the clubs, I guess, are, are not pointing towards the middle ground areas. Now, for example, I don't think too many pistol owners would mind that if they had to own a pistol, okay, you have to be a member of a club and you also have to go shooting, say, minimum four times a year. But then on top of that, you can also take your pistol to private property if you want to, right? So, so you know... It would be better than... It, no, I'd it, say no, but it'd be better than nothing. I mean, it's it'd better be, than of nothing. Course it'd be be- of course it'd be better than nothing. So that's kind of like a middle, middle ground where clubs still get their membership, they still get their minimum attendances, and also the individual still has their right to go on the private yeah, property. I don't know if these organisations even have the people that are smart enough to even comprehend that, to be brutally honest. <laughs> exactly. You know? Because they'll be going, oh, that, no, that's, no, that's no, 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 you know? no. That's, that's really the problem, isn't it, Jason? Oh, we just we need a massive, faith. huge we don't change. Have enough faith. Yeah, we don't have enough faith in them to be even smart enough to figure even that present out. something like that, to figure that out, but, you know... That's I guess that's another story, but look, that, that would be a great compromise, and I'm sure not many people would object. I mean, pistol owners in particular would object to that. Of course, there'd be a couple of nut jobs that would. It's but, the same uh, as suppressors. Know. Yeah, I mean, a middle ground yeah. is having to register suppressors. Of course, as we all know, we I hate registration. I, I think it, it hasn't saved yeah. one single crime. But if at the moment that was a way to get it forward and everyone used suppressors, which are almost mandated in some other countries, in New Zealand you can walk out with them the same days. Thank you, give me that suppressor and here's the cash and walk straight out. So if that was exactly. the only option we had, well, that, I'd take that option before saying well, no exactly. to it. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, I don't see a problem with that. I mean... 
if I had to register my suppressor, fine. If every suppressor that came into a country had to have a serial number, fine. I, I quite happily at least get it and then I, fight I, I it, fight quite, at a later date, yeah. fight at a later date. Exactly, I would quite happily have one uh, than not have one. <laughs> yeah, because if, if you, you know if you mean? get it, then we can then we can start the next fight. You know, if that makes sense. Instead of uh, instead exactly. of, instead Look, of having no fight at all, I'll say, well, hang on, if we if if it if it if it has to be registered in serial numbers, well, we're not interested in having suppressors. I think that's a bit of a blind blind view of you know moving forward. Well, exactly. It's, it comes down to also like similar debate regarding the fireworks, right? Like I I talked to a lot of program politicians, um, you know, uh, regards to the fireworks. And uh, the, the proposal that I put forward is, well, what if we had a licensing system in regards to fireworks? What if you had to have safe storage for fireworks, right? What if, what if there was a lot of regulation behind it, uh, regardless of how much regulation it was, but the end result would be that, okay, the average person can actually go out and buy fireworks and enjoy them, you know what I mean? So, and, and the response usually I get, no, 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 if we're going to go get them, we'll have to get for everyone, you know, like, or, or no, nah, that, that, that's, not, that's not right, it's too much regulation. Like, I mean, okay, fair enough, as opposed to what? Uh, at the moment, they're completely banned. <laughs> yeah, you've got nothing. <laughs> you've got nothing at the moment, right? Let's at least so get could, them, so, then keep moving forward with the fight. Yeah, well, exactly. Like, my, my, my proposal was to a lot of people, well, you know, people with firearms licenses should be allowed to own every other explosive that's below the firearms. So, for example, if you're if you're responsible enough to own a three thirty eight Magnum Lapua that can shoot at you know up to two kilometres, okay, well then you're obviously responsible enough to own a couple of crackers, right? Okay, and then obviously but you can't you own can, a couple of bungers right now. <laughs> you, you, you can't own a couple of bungers, and you know what? If they made it so that you, you know, the same rules apply to bungers as firearms. Okay, you have to store them in a safe, for example, right? And you have to uh, only use them in 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 approved areas, just like with firearms. You can only use firearms in approved areas. You know, when you're out legally hunting and all that stuff and on private property, for example, that that would be great because we could take our fireworks. To someone's private property who gives us permission to use them and we obviously use them responsibly and have fun with our fireworks right yep. and obviously you'd have seasons for it and obviously the summer season you'd be prohibited right because it's you know bushfire seasons and so on but during the winter season i don't see why someone with a firearms license is obviously responsible enough right to have these sort of you know uh, 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 firearms and uh, projectiles and bullets and all that stuff Right, it was obviously responsible enough to buy up to a four kilo or one kilo, you know, case of uh, powder. Right, okay, is obviously responsible enough to be able to, under the same conditions of those laws, uh, have some fireworks. And uh, but this is the thing, right? So, and it's a way for us to get them. So, for example, if you could go to a gun shop, a gun shop will probably be able to sell fireworks. You just present your license. Yeah, you got your license. No worries. And you get a little pet leaflet with your fireworks, make sure they're stored in a secure place and make sure they're not used during certain parts of the year or certain areas. And that would not be a problem. I would 100% support that uh, as opposed to the current system, which is complete ban. Exactly. <laughs> unless, of course, unless, of course, you're in the Northern Territory when they still have Territory Night when they have fireworks available once a year. Half your luck. 
Mate, yeah. let's, let's get on to the, very interesting. Let's get on the next one before we finish off. We've got Aaron Stonehouse. He's an upper house member yep. of WA for the Liberal Democrats. Very interesting. He had a discussion about self-defence laws with Simon Chapman. Now, Simon Chapman oh, has been floating around for, I don't know, 30 years. Same thing as Philip Alpers. And uh, they talk about self-defence. They're using things like tasers and pepper spray for forms of self-defence, obviously with Aaron Stonehouse being pro-self-defence and Simon Chapman being anti-self-defence. And this goes back to my discussion, Muzz, just about when we started the show about when the guy in Melbourne went a bit crazy and started knifing people that, well, heaven forbid someone can, you know, they'll have the item used against them. Let's listen to it and then we'll come back and discuss it. And a couple of other things, tasers. We've only got a few minutes left. Do you, you want tasers for personal use? Uh, Is that something I, I you do, support? yeah, yeah. When I say taser, I'm talking about uh, what you would call a stun gun, which is more like a you have to actually make physical contact. It doesn't shoot the prongs like the police have. Um, I'm not no, sure if that'll be still, looked at. Still scare the life well, out I, of I'm me. I'm not sure if it'll be looked at here, but we have cases right now where you can buy pepper spray over the counter, but, but the defence for having pepper spray for self-defence is very high. And, and I know of several cases where women have had things like pepper spray or tasers in their handbag uh, and have been caught by police and have been charged for a breach of the Weapons Act. Um, it seems to me that the most vulnerable people in our society should at least have, at the very least, non-lethal means of self-defence. So you talk about pepper spray and tasers, look... <laughs> Uh, could a bad guy use them? I suppose. A bad guy can also I use suppose. a knife. I <laughs> suppose. Uh, if, if, if someone wants to kidnap somebody, they could use a knife, they could use any other weapon. We're talking about uh, non-lethal weapons here that, that people who are perhaps physically frail can use to break contact with an attacker and get away. And there are cases of women uh, who have been attacked by people and have used things like pepper spray and have ended up charged with, uh, with aggravated assault and with breach of the Weapons Act. I, I don't think that's right. Um, in, in need to wrap this up at six minutes to eleven on ABC Radio Perth, but um, Simon Chapman, uh, listening to this, uh, public safety and public health is very much at the forefront of of your arguments against a lot of what um, Aaron supports. Yeah, well, look, I'm not surprised to hear Aaron supporting pepper spray. I mean, after all, David Lionhelm, you know, the head of his party, is one of Australia's most prominent pro-gun people and, uh, you know, believes that uh, we should shred our gun laws and uh, and open the, open the floodgates, live in an American kind of style situation. Um, as if, you know, criminals, uh, rapists, people who are intent on insult, assaulting people uh, wouldn't think that getting access to uh, a pepper spray or a taser or something like that wouldn't be a great idea as well. I mean, this is just going to amplify violence in the community rather than deter it. I've, I've got to disagree there. Look, um, uh, it's a straw man again to say we want something like America. I, I don't know where Simon gets these ideas. Building up straw men and tearing well, I get, down I get them easy, from David Lionhelm. When, he, come, when he comes in on the, on, he, he in the press all the time. He doesn't regime no, for firearms. No, but in any case, no, look, no, back to the substantive issue here on pepper spray and tasers. Look, if, if someone wants to abduct a woman or, or, or cause harm to her, they don't need pepper spray. They're physically stronger. They can use other weapons even. But the current system we have is that bad guys could carry around pepper spray or tasers. You can buy them in, in WA legally. Uh, they don't care about the defence if they get caught by cops. It's the law-abiding people. It's the woman walking home at night who doesn't have access to pepper spray because she's afraid she's going to get a, a, a breach of the weapons act if she gets caught by police and that has happened there was a pregnant woman just a few years ago that happened to and a case i just heard about recently where a woman uh, had a restraining order against a man who uh who ended up uh uh confronting her and she used pepper spray against him and ended up charged with aggravated assault and a, and a breach of the weapons act that's what we need to avoid we need to leave it there uh, this has been a, a a very healthy and very interesting debate uh, to professor simon chapman and aaron stonehouse thanks for taking part thank you thank you all right mars what are your thoughts on this one 
Yeah, I think Aaron done a great job there uh, in defending people's right to self-defence. I mean, he pointed out a lot of particular, you know, things in regards to pepper spray and so on. Uh, and I think it's he's made he's made some really good arguments there, and he's done a really good job and a lot better job than some other politicians, to be honest. So it's interesting because he's only young, isn't he? He's only about yeah. twenty eight, I think, and he's a very very good yeah. talker. I think he's a. Uh, Obviously doing a great job with the other pro-gun parties over there to try and, yeah, at least try their best, at least get the discussion coming up, and I guess that's a bonus. Well, he, I mean, look, he does. He does defend the issue quite well. Um, so I'm very happy with him. I'm hoping we can get more people like him into the parliament. Absolutely, mate. Next one, too. And he's in, he's in WA. He's in WA, by the that's way. That's right, yeah, WA, Upper House. Uh, over there in Western Australia. Next one coming up is Tom Elliott. He's on the Drive program. Uh, and he's talking to Samantha Lee, our good friend Samantha Lee from uh, yep. <laughs> Coalition uh, for uh, Gun Control or Gun Control Australia, whatever you'd like to. Gun Control Australia, I, I GCA. Tr- yeah, GCA, Gun Control. That's it. I try to forget it. I try and get that etched out of my mind. But um, she talks about um, pistols. He talks about semi-automatic pistols. And it's very, very interesting the things that she actually says and what their real agenda is, which is banning firearms in their entirety. So let's, let's have a listen to it and then we'll come back. Eight past five. At the moment, we're going to speak to Gun Control Australia. They are worried because the number of registered firearms appears to have jumped quite substantially uh, in just the last three years, for example. Almost 65,000 more guns have been registered. But uh, what about gun control? Gun Control Australia has released a report today saying that guns are on the increase here in the state of Victoria. They say there are over 830,000 firearms registered in the state. So that's roughly one gun for every six-odd people. There have been an increase of 65,000 guns registered in the last three years. There are over 220,000 firearm licences, and 10,000 of those have been awarded in just the last three years. Is there something about which we should be concerned? Of course, John Howard tightened up the ability to own a gun uh, back in the 90s after the uh, Martin Bryant massacre down in Tasmania. Joining the line now, President of Gun Control Australia, Sam Lee. Mr Lee, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Oh, sorry, Ms Lee. Sorry. Yeah, all right. Thank you. Um, what worries you about these figures? Because, I mean, I'm assuming these are the, the legit figures, aren't they? You know, these are the people who register guns and have a firearms licence and so forth? That's correct, yeah. So it's... It's great in the sense that people are registering firearms. Our main concern is that in relation to gun deaths, the 80% of gun deaths are due to suicides. So guns aren't just used in crime. They are used uh, against people, but also to harm the person who owns the firearm themselves. Yeah, look, I I hear what you're saying. I saw an analysis... um a few years ago of cities that had, how do I put this, you know, well-known suicide spots, you know, bridges, cliffs, that sort of thing. And when they were fenced off and people couldn't throw themselves off anymore, the suicide rate didn't change. You know, people who decided they wanted to do it still found another way to do it. Are you certain that if you reduce the number of guns, you would reduce the suicide rate? Well, research shows that if you use a different means to try and kill yourself, for example, um, pills, um, that it's more likely that someone may be able to rescue before you actually um, die. So a suicide with a firearm is pretty fatal. Mm. The other issue is also massacres. 
The problem is that we just don't know who's going to commit a massacre and the majority of gun owners really don't want to hurt anyone and have no intention of hurting anyone. The problem is that we just don't know who will and when they do, they can cause a lot of damage. But what, what's the solution to that? I mean, if you don't know, if, if you're saying anybody's a potential massacrist, I mean, do we, do we get rid of all guns? No, and the National Firearms Agreement did not intend to do that. What it did intend to do is regulate firearms. We're also not saying that you can't have guns. What we are saying is that you can't have certain types of firearms, in particular high-powered semi-automatic firearms. But, but they've, been banned, they've been banned for quite some time. The semi-automatic handguns aren't banned. Semi-automatic long arms are the reason for that being is that Martin Bryant, during the Port Arthur massacre, used a semi-automatic long arm, and that handguns had some regulation around them during that time. Yeah, but yeah. can I tell you, I've done I've done a reasonable amount of shooting with semi-automatic handguns. I mean, a they're very hard to get. You know, much harder than getting rifles. Um, and B, I mean, to be honest, they're not the weapon of choice for a massacre. You know, they're hard to aim. They're inaccurate. They're you know, they jam all the time, you know what I mean? Like, you don't, they're not used all that much for that sort of thing. Well, they were just recently used in the um, recent massacre in the US. Um, the person used a .45 handgun, uh, semi-automatics. I mean, the problem with them is that they can just release a number of, of uh, fire capacity in a very short period of time. Well, it's a harm minimisation yeah, strategy. Yeah, but, but, but sorry, but then you'd have to ban all handguns because every handgun is semi-automatic. Well, uh, well, that's right. Semi-automatics themselves, we are of the view, should not be available for civilian usage. Our main aim is just to try and reduce harm in the community through um, guns. And uh, a way to do that is just to reduce the number of guns per licence holder. Again, we're not saying that you can't have guns, but we are concerned in regards to semi-automatics in particular. OK, but, but I mean, for example, the, the pistol shooting I've done has been... You know, I've done a couple of little competitions and things, and that's the, the, the main reason people use them. So you, you would ban pistol shooting? Because, I mean, all pistols, be they revolvers mm. or semi-autos, are semi-automatic in nature. Yes, our position is is that any single-shot firearm would be allowed, but semi-automatics would not be allowed for any civilian usage. Right, so so all pistols banned by, for civilians? All semi-automatic handguns uh, well, no, should but, but, be sorry, banned but, equally. Christy, do you understand what a semi-automatic handgun is? What I know is that semi-automatic long arms were banned after port. Yes, I'm not asking. I'm not asking that. But I'm saying because I, I, the way you're answering the question suggests to me you, you're not quite sure what a semi-automatic handgun is. Is a revolver a semi-automatic handgun? No, it's not. No, it is. You pull the trigger once, the bullet comes out. Pull the trigger again, another bullet comes out. It's that semi-automatic. Uh, a, a, a pistol is also, or sorry, I should say a. Um, well, what's called a semi-automatic pistol is just a different mechanism, but it's the same thing. Pull the trigger once, bullet comes out. So a revolver is a semi-automatic weapon. Look, our main concern is to try and minimise harm in the community. Semi-automatic handguns can release a number of firepower in just a few minutes, and they were used during the Port Arthur massacre. We want to try and minimise any level of potential grief that could occur in the community through someone losing a life and again we're not saying that every gun owner out there has an intention to hurt someone 
what we are saying is that it, it's a process or a, a framework of harm reduction okay. and harm prevention. All right, so, so basically all pistols banned for civilians, be they revolvers or semi-automatic pistols, but you could still have a bolt-action rifle or a, um, you know, a 12-gauge shotgun or something like that, say, for use on a farm. Well, the, the law allows for certain use of firearms if you meet a general reason, and uh, farmers are allowed firearms for certain reasons, for example, uh, vermin animal control. What we are, again, aiming for is trying to reduce access to high-powered firearms and ensuring that proper, proper regulation of firearms out there in but, the community. But what would you define as high-powered? I mean, for example, you could have a you know, a bolt action 308. I mean, a 308, you can knock something over at a kilometre and it will still kill you. I mean, it's, that, that is high power, but it is not semi-automatic. Well, we want the laws to be equal in terms of they already ban semi-automatic long arms, but they do not ban semi-automatic handguns. There needs to be consistency within the legislation. OK. All right. Thank you so much, Sam Lee there, President of Gun Control Australia. Well, I think it's pretty clear that Gun Control Australia doesn't actually understand that much about firearms. I mean, to say that a, you know, a, a revolver is not semi-automatic is simply not true. A revolver is semi-automatic. It's just a different sort of semi-automatic. To say that you don't want weapons that are too powerful, well, you legally you can have a bolt-action 308, which is a very powerful weapon, but that is allowed, not banned. Well, I think that it's important to be very clear about what you want banned and what you do not. All right, Mars, what do you think on this one? I might have a chat first about this one because I think you can okay. see there how she's trying to, pretty much they're trying to ban firearms, the pistols if they could. Let's not beat around the bush and say that, well, they don't want to ban all firearms. If there was legislation, and this goes for the Greens in New South Wales and all, all states around Australia, if the Greens had a balance of power and, and regulation was put up to ban your firearms, 100% they would vote for it every single time. So yeah. let, let's not pretend these people somehow, oh, we don't want to hassle farmers and you know, sporting shooters have got a legitimate purpose. Then she goes on to, they're talking about semi-automatics and I think from what I'm reading here, Mars, they talk about, he talks about whether a revolver is a semi-automatic pistol. And I found that quite interesting because I didn't perceive a revolver to be a semi-automatic pistol. Sure, one trigger pull, uh, obviously one, one bullet comes out. That would indicate semi-automatic. But it says here, and I was actually reading this, it says a revolver which uses multiple chambers or a single barrel and a derringer which uses multiple chambers to fire multiple barrels can also fire one round per trigger pull but, to, but achieves this in different ways and as such is not classified as being semi-automatic. So I'm not yeah. sure. Based on the information I'm reading here uh, from the, or the internet, you know, the, I'll, I'll Google, it seems to be that uh, apparently revolver is not a semi-automatic pistol per definition. So if someone knows more information on that, uh, let us know because Tom Elliott was really pushing her on that. And when I heard semi-automatic, I was like, I don't think it is. But I get where he was coming from. It still can shoot just as fast as you know a semi-automatic pistol. Obviously, based on how many rounds you can fit in the you know, magazine versus the revolver, you know, barrel on a revolver. So definitely some interesting topics there. What were your thoughts on it? But she's been uh, pretty angry with us for years. The old uh, Samantha Lee. For gun owners, you know, basically saying she doesn't know who gun owners are bad and which ones are going to commit the crime. Everything can be abused in this in this country, and uh, we, we don't change laws based on you know the actions yeah. of one or two people. We we just make you know laws for that, so they go to prison when they do do the wrong thing. Well, I think uh, Tom Elliott made a good point, I guess, in a roundabout way that 
that uh, revolvers are kind of semi-automatic in nature. I mean, you can argue whether they're actually semi-automatic or not. Um, I, I don't think they are, but they're, they're kind of semi-automatic in nature, right? Uh, it's a bit of a moot point, really. But the point here that he was making is uh, he pushed Sam Lee to the point to see her actual agenda, which is basically banning all handguns. Oh, exactly, right? absolutely, yeah. Okay, which basically means banning all handguns. And I think I think she did say there that uh, the general public would be allowed a single shot, a single oh, shot wow. handgun. Wow, so, thank you, Samantha. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so you'd be able to use a single shot handgun that you can just shoot one round and then you reload and shoot another round and all that stuff. And uh, how exciting would that be? Oh, can't <laughs> but, wait. Um, yeah, I know. But anyway, Tom Millie done a good point. Uh, done a good job at pushing her to that point to see the real agenda, and uh, and it's good that he um, he basically wasn't really agreeing with her on a lot of things and basically schooled her in a lot of things as well. Uh, but however, um, he I felt he really held back on on defending gun owners. You know what I mean? He didn't really do a good job in 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 defending us. In terms of um, pointing out the fact how how totalitarian and uh, authoritarian these uh, these Greens and Australian gun control are, and and the fact that all these laws are basically based around reducing more power and taking more power away from the individual, right? And that's pretty much that's what that's what Australian gun control that's that's their whole agenda. Uh, so yeah, look. She puts on a pretty good act, Samantha Lee. She speaks softly and slowly, and she makes herself, you know, sound like a very nice and sensible and reasonable person. But uh, it's all all just a big act, in my opinion. It's an act to try and uh, convince you of her argument that, you know, she has the better argument than you and you should listen to her because she's softly spoken and well-mannered. And, you know, you know I'm looking at saving lives and, you know, you're yes, not. And, yes. you know, we want to yeah, reduce, I want to save lives and reduce, reduce suicide, harm. she also said as well, course, which, yeah. you know, again... Yeah, well, yeah, the suicide point, exactly. I mean, I think Tom Millian made a good point that, you know... Um, if they're going to um, kill themselves, they're going to anyway. They're, they're, they're we want to get to, them help, yes, but yeah. who cares whether yeah. they shoot themselves with a gun or they knife themselves? It's still a tragedy. Does it really yeah, matter whether just, they kill themselves with a gun? That's right. I mean, uh, look, suicide rates haven't dropped. Okay, they haven't dropped. In fact, they've probably increased in the in the you know in, in the last twenty years. They haven't dropped at all, and I think there's about sixty thousand attempted suicides every year in Australia. Very high. Um, and guns won't make any difference to that because there is a multitude of ways, as we know, that people can uh, do harm to themselves. Um, but look, uh, Tom Elliott, I think overall, not too bad. Um, hey, he does a better he's... job than sometimes people that are supposed to represent <laughs> us, to be yeah, honest with you, because he pushed her quite hard. He pushed her quite hard. I didn't, hard, exactly. I didn't hear Tom, Tom Elliott saying, well, no, we shouldn't have access to these types of firearms. Well, look, exactly, and, and him, obviously, you know, he's had experience with shooting and so on, does does uh, play a big part, so that does help. Uh, but surprisingly, yeah, he'd actually done a better job than some pro-gun politicians in the past. Uh, I won't mention names, but anyway. Um, but look, yeah, not, not, not bad, and hopefully if we can get more people like Tom Elliott on the air with, some common, with a bit of common sense approach and common sense pushback on people like Samantha Lee, then... Uh, that that will perhaps uh, go work, uh, you know, work in our favour in changing the general perceptions out there. I wish you know some of our people that were in this industry pro gun, you know, didn't made, you know, if they wanted to do something like this, you know, made an effort to 
um, you know, be involved in, you know, becoming radio announcers, you know, getting into parliament, whether it's for major parties. I hate, I loathe to say that, guys, but, you know, at the end of the day, we need more people in those, in the, in the program parties, but we also need more people in parliament as well, you know, in for other parties as well to try and, you know, I might say infiltrate, but to, you know, change the, you know, the discourse of this discussion on firearms in this country. Um, yep. You know, why we have pro-gun parties that, you know, if we get more people, there's other parties as well that are, you know, are definitely pro-gun. I don't see really anything wrong with that and can, you know, hopefully change that discourse and, and make changes and try to, you know, discuss that with the party as well. I mean, that's what it's, that's what it's going to come down to. And like I said, having a balance of power. But anyway, we're going to finish you off, Muzz, in two seconds. A couple of things. The yep. new Tika T1X, the twenty two long rifle just did come out. Uh, gunshots were receiving them just a few days ago. Uh, already people on Facebook are already posting photos of that, which is fantastic. And there was a new one, which was just for the Australian market. Uh, the Savage, I think it's A22R, which has like a little lever release bolt, lever release bolt on the front near the magazine. Uh, that's just come out too, which is available in New South Wales, Queensland, amongst other states as well. I'm not sure about WA. I think Northern Territory have actually banned it, but I will find out more of what's happening with that, guys, throughout the throughout the next podcast. So I think that's going to be important with which states can actually buy that Savage 22 uh, long rifle. And as I said, the ticker T1X is the 22LR as well. I'm still waiting on the 16-inch. They did bring in the 20-inch. Um, they're still waiting for another shipment as well. So hopefully I get that, you know, before, you know, hopefully before the end of the year. If not, I'm have to wait until, you know, January or February. Hopefully there's more shipments coming in. But also too, guys, if you want to email us, email us at australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. We love discussing these things on the show. And also, guys, voicemail, very, very important. Go to australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. And on that right-hand side, you will see where it says leave voicemail. It does go for three minutes. So if you've got longer than three minutes, just record a second one and send that to me as well if it's going to be longer than that. But under three minutes would be fantastic, and we'd love to discuss your topics on the show because ultimately people writing in and leaving voicemails and being part of the show uh, yeah, yep. is the most important thing. So, Mars, anything to uh, add to finish off, mate, or...? Yes, great efforts to uh, make the petition up there in Queensland by, you know, all the people involved in terms of public land hunting. So if you're listening to the pod, to this podcast from uh, WA or South Australia, guys, come on, uh, get off your backside. There are a couple of pro-gun politicians in those states. You need to contact them and you need to set up similar petitions and um, and uh, talk about public land hunting in, in as it is in New South Wales and Victoria. And you need to try and install public land hunting in those states. It, it does really, it does really increase the the, uh, the culture around hunting, uh, especially when it's a it's an official government program that anyone can register for. Anyone with a gun license, of course, they can register for. Even even if you don't have a gun license, if you if you have dogs or if you have uh, or if you could just go hunting with a bow and arrow, right? So. Um, you know, you can you can still get on and uh, get get your R license and uh, go hunting and use the massive resources that we have in terms of public land in this state and in Victoria. And hopefully, we can reproduce that. Or you guys who are listening in South Australia and WA can reproduce that and Northern Territory as well in your own states. So that's very important. We need to we need to spread our culture. We need to increase our constituencies all over the country so that hopefully in the future will be a lot more resistant to certain anti-gun attacks by people like Sam Lee and others. So as always, guys, it's very important to remember we're actually moving forward 
New South Wales a bit in terms of hunting. So we've had a lot of relaxation on those laws in terms of deer hunting, which is great news. Uh, unfortunately, I'd love to see a lot more pigs in state forest, Jason. I don't see them very often. I've never often, shot either. a pig yet, guys. So I live in Sydney. Anyone well, wanting to help me out to get a pig, give me a call, send me a message. I'd love to go hunting with you. I want to get my first pig. So if any, well, I, <laughs> I'm not well, going to well, beg I, on the podcast, <laughs> but if anyone can help me, I'd be yeah. really happy about that. Especially a good sized pig. I just want to. Uh, I ha- I've have I've never even seen any in state forests. Again, I'm not sure if that's because well, of dogging or it's because certain things, but they're very elusive, more so than deer, I would say. Well, I, I've shot plenty of pigs on, on private land, and I have seen them in the state forest on a couple of occasions, but I've yet to shoot one in the state forest. That's the thing, and I'm and I'm hoping to shoot one one day, but um, uh, that's that's very sometimes it's very hard to find a location um, that's uh, that's got a lot of, it's got a big pig population of state forest because usually the locals go through there with their dogs and they usually just uh, end up emptying the state forest of pigs until next time so so anyway i'm very keen to find a really good area where you can hunt pigs and you can hunt them regularly but uh it's very very difficult to find it's usually an animal that you'd have to shoot upon you know like an opportunistic situation where you basically stumble upon them and you have to take advantage of that situation but yeah guys look like i said public land hunting i mean really we need to push this across the country okay and we need to do it state by state uh hopefully queensland hopefully by next year sometime we'll have some sort of a progression with uh public land hunting in their state and if that we can achieve that so then that way we'll have the whole east coast of australia with public land hunting and then we need to work on the whole west coast and interior so if we can get that around the country, that'll be a massive boost to uh, our, our, our uh, culture, our freedoms, our rights in this country, and it's got to be a massive boost to the sport. So, yeah, absolutely important, guys, and um, that's pretty much all I have to say. Uh, Jason, just stay safe out there, guys, during the summer, during your holidays. Drive carefully. Of course, don't drink and drive. Don't drive tired or anything like that. If you are going away on a trip on the hunting uh, be aware that there's a lot of snakes out there during summertime. Watch out for the heat. Make sure you always carry plenty of water with you, but be well hydrated and so on. And, of course, if you ever go hunting, guys, during the summer, during the heat of the summer, I, I generally don't. I have been plenty of times, and I hate it because it's just uh, every time we go on private property hunting during summertime, it's excellent hunting at night, great spotlighting because the animals do come out at night because it's a lot cooler fantastic for that but during the day it absolutely sucks i hate it <laughs> especially <laughs> yeah. when it's warm at night too you know you're trying to sleep yeah. in your swag or somewhere yeah. inside a ring you're just so hot yeah. you can't get away you got no fan it's like oh my god this is horrible. But a very important tip jason for anyone going hunting during the summertime okay always carry an epurb with you all right so uh, mainly for one reason really because if anyone gets dehydrated or sick or cops a snake bite or anything like that which is more likely, obviously, to happen. Carry your bandages time. too, guys. Yeah, you, you need to be prepared, okay? Just be prepared, guys. Stay safe and have a great, great holiday. Yep. Just to finish off, guys, again, make sure, again, write us, write to us. Australian, that, as I said, Australian Hunting Podcast at gmail.com. Leave us voicemails. We want to get your opinions on the show. This is why we do the straight shooting, so please send in those voicemails. If you've got something to talk about, you think a topic's great, please write to us. Please send those voicemails. That's important. Join us on Patreon if you want to get the podcast in advance of everyone else. I try and at least give them to Patreon supporters at least, you know, five days before, you know, general listenership, you know, things like that. You're going to 
get priority in the competitions that we run coming up. Things like that are some important perks there as well. You know, if you you want to call me at any time, more than happy to speak to people as well, people off Patreon as well. That's I think that's really important as well, giving back to the people from Patreon and uh, that support the show. I know we try and do it as much as we can, and hopefully, you know, over the next you know month or so, we're going to have another show as well. We've got I've got some ideas in mind too, guys, about shows that I want to do talking to a couple of people now which is good and things that are happening in the industry some more hunting as well uh, we got some great um, responses from the, one of the hunting ones i did a, a, about a month ago in regards to bow hunting all right guys so um for this show we haven't really spoken too much about policing and i know a lot of people you guys have been looking at what's been happening recently in melbourne with the recent terrorist attack and how the police handle that situation and, and how that bystander with the trolley was helping out the police and it's a very interesting subject actually to talk about in terms of how they manage the situation but look if you think the policing is bad in australia well look i quite often listen to the nigel farage show which is on lbc uh it's a british show uh nigel farage obviously a very prominent politician in uh in england and uh if you think the policing is bad here wait until you hear this eight-minute clip from Nigel Farage, uh, you will be gobsmacked, gobsmacked at what's going on in England. So it's a very interesting clip and it's a really good eye-opener and uh, a great listen. And perhaps maybe if you have opinions on that, you can send us a voicemail or an email for the next show. So we'll, we'll, what we'll do, guys, we'll play it now and then we'll leave you with that to mull over. To We'll discuss it on the next show. So we'll play it now. Some of you may have seen the video footage of an attack that took place over the weekend in South London. It's two police officers being violently, really violently assaulted in the street. And somebody, and we won't name the person, but somebody recorded all of this on their iPhone and gave a commentary over the top, which effectively was mocking what was happening to the police officers. It's pretty sick. If you go to lbc.co.uk, you can see the footage of it. Uh, It's part, it seems to me, uh, of what is going on in London. And let's not forget other cities too, where we do appear to be completely losing control of the streets. Yeah, it's the stabbings, it's the murders uh, that actually make the news, but the level of violent assaults is going through the roof as well. And I'm somebody who wants to be pro the police. I really am. I've had uh, police officers in my family, one very senior one too, and I'm naturally pro the police. And when I see the figures that there were twenty over 26,000 assaults on police officers in England and Wales over the course of the last year, I think, cripes, what a very difficult job to be doing these days. And of course, if they're seen to overreact, they're the ones that finish up in trouble with the law. So they at all times have to use reasonable force, which means the other side go to the extreme before they're able to up the ante. So I do naturally feel sorry for the police. And I think, and please do go to lbc.co.uk, have a look at this footage. It is very shocking. Now that all led today to a reaction from Ken Marsh, who is head of the Metropolitan Police Federation. Uh, and here he was talking to Nick Ferrari on the LBC Breakfast Show this morning. If you're prepared to just stand and watch anyone, police or anyone else, being assaulted in the way my colleagues were being assaulted, and you think it's the right way to go about life, to just stand there laughing, mocking them and filming them instead of trying to assist to stop someone being injured, then it speaks for itself, I think. I hear what you say. 
that there is the danger, Mr Marsh, that I try and get involved, and in fact I make the situation worse because they then turn on me as well, and your blokes or women are then trying to look after me because I've tried to get involved and are not sufficiently trained. You're aware of that? Absolutely, 100%. I'm not for one minute saying to the public, all step in, we're trying to do what we do. What I am trying to get across is surely... Intervention is better than standing mocking at my colleagues and filming what they're doing for salacious pleasure to others. That's the point I'm trying to get across. Well, Ken Marsh, I agree with you that the idea of mocking our police officers being assaulted and hurt uh, is awful, as it would be anybody. It is awful. But I'm not quite so sure that it's as simple as this. I'm not quite so sure that we should come to the aid of the police when they're in trouble is as simple as this. Two reasons. Firstly, of course, if we go in uh, and we're seen to have used excessive force, we could be charged with assault, and there is a very real risk of that. But there's something, folks, deeper going on here. I said to you that I'm naturally pro-police, and I want to be pro-police. But I do... I do wonder whether you feel, whether I feel, the police are really supporting us. I mean, back in 2015, we saw a signal of a new kind of policing coming from Sarah Thornton, the head of the National Chief Police Council. I think what we're saying is that if we're really serious about putting a lot of effort and resource into protecting children, for example, that might mean that if you've had a burglary, for example, and the burglar has fled that we won't get there as quickly as we've got there in the past. Of course, we will still want to gather evidence, but we might do it in different ways. Um, So it's about thinking about what it means to really focus on the crimes that really cause risk and harm, particularly to our young people and other vulnerable people. So if you've been burgled, there's no uh, particular reason now why the police will even turn up at all. In fact, they may well tell you to register the burglary online. And do you know something? For most people, uh, their house being burgled is one of the absolutely most distressing things that ever happens in their lives. And one of the things they need... uh, Think of a sort of single person, an elderly single person. One of the things they need is a bit of personal reassurance. And it's one of the things that, I think, traditionally, the British Bobby uh, was seen to be very, very good at. And that's followed by other headlines. You know, not practical for the Met Police to investigate all crime. Uh, And what about this? I mean, you know, there's, there's an old saying about the fish rotting from the head down. You remember the appalling Westminster Bridge attack. Khalid Massoud, he ran over and killed people on the bridge in the car. He crashed the car. If you remember, he then ran around the front of the Palace of Westminster and he went into the yard where he attacked the unarmed PC Keith Palmer, who he stabbed to death. You all remember those horrendous scenes and and, and, and and me certainly in the light of that and London Bridge and everything else. I think the absolute minimum our police officers should have is a taser gun. That's the absolute minimum they should have. But what was most extraordinary about that was that the acting head of the Metropolitan Police at the time, Sir Craig Mackey, was there in a police car watching all this happening and not intervening. He said, I could see PC Palmer moving backwards and him going down. And what did Sir Craig Mackey do at the time, who was the acting head of the Met Police? He locked the car doors to make sure he was okay. So if the guy at the top is not prepared to intervene when a police officer is in trouble, and I do understand, Ken Marsh, head of the Met Police Federation, that you do want the public support, but what kind of example is that? And what about the fact? 
when Sarah Thornton talks about the prioritisation of police and what they do. What about the fact that a thousand police officers in the Met are investigating hate crime? I'll give you an example of something that happened within the Met Police area to me. Myself, my family were attacked by a mob of about 80 protesters um, all, uh, claiming all sorts of grievances against things that I'd said and done. And they were threatening in many ways, so much so the children ran away and hid in the graveyard. Uh, we went off in the car. They came up and smashed the car. They wrote the car off whilst we were sitting inside it. It was violent. It was bad. Do you know something? Not one single prosecution. Yet, can you imagine if I'd said something to one of, their, to one of the diversity protesters that had been taken to be an ism of some kind, I bet I'd have been charged with a hate crime. And my problem, Ken Marsh, is I want to help the police, but I'm not so sure the police are helping us anymore. And I know there have been cutbacks, and I know it is difficult, and I know that the rise of violent crime is not the fault of the police. There are bad things happening in our society, but my feeling is that this is a two-way street, and before we are going to put ourselves in harm's way to help the police. We need to feel that they are on our side. And right at the moment, I don't. So, tell me, is Kev Marsh right to say we need to back the police, or do you feel a bit like me, that we need to be a bit more supported by them? And if you think, no, Kev Marsh is right, whatever the circumstances, we must get involved physically and help the police if they're in trouble. Call 03456. All right, guys, that'll give you something to uh, mull over for the next show, guys. If you've got opinions on that, please write into us. Please send us uh, uh, voicemails. Very important. We're not going to discuss it right now. We want to get your opinion, so you know, let us know. My name is Jason. And I'm Muzz. Thanks, guys, and we'll see you next time. You're listening to the Straight Shooting Podcast here on the AHP Digital Radio Network. As always, thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.